Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it. It's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling. Enjoy it. Welcome back to the How To Be Great podcast. I'm Robert Nickel, and with me... Where is he? Where's he gone? So you lose the video for one week, you go back to audio only, and showbiz Paul Benson does a showbiz thing, and deems it not uh, necessary for him to turn up. But speaking of deeming it, that is what I have done. I have gone out there and I have got the next best thing after the seven other uh, contingency plans fell through, and I have brought him back. He is the twisted genius Dean AS. How you doing, Dino? I'm very good, thank you, Rob. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm becoming a bit of a stand-in Benson, aren't I? First the quiz, now this, you know. I don't know if that's something you want to be. Do you know well, what I mean? I, first of all, you know, no one wants to be the understudy, and secondly, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna be a tribute act, be a tribute act to someone better than that. <laughs> but uh, it's good to have you with me, though, mate. And I, 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 it's something you actually wanted. If Paul wasn't available, sorry, Paul isn't available this week. Uh, it's just a build up of things folks he's just he's just very very busy and he's lost his voice a little bit bless him so uh, uh, Dean is with me but actually had Paul been available we would have done a three-hander this week you wanted to join us um, absolutely for the, for the yes. topic. so we're going to be talking about champions obviously it's Clash of Champions or Clash of the Champions however they're uh, exactly wording it on Sunday so champions is our topic we'll get into exactly what we're going to be talking about on this show uh, in a wee bit once we've uh, done some bits of housekeeping but uh, just quickly tell us what, what was it that uh, about the topic tonight that made us uh, made you want to come and join us well there's there's so many so many facets of what makes a good champion and i think there's a lot of things that that happen kind of behind the scenes a bit or or considerations that aren't immediately obvious to everyone and and i think and everyone it's one of those things i think that we'll, we'll discuss as we go on but i think there are things that that people have in their subconscious without realizing they're there and actually i think when we start talking about these things that a few people will start think yeah there'll be a few light bulbs going and people start thinking oh yeah i see why why they made this guy champ and why they made that guy champ and it's it's not just about you know being a, a, a being a, a really good technical wrestler or really exciting brawler there's so many um criteria that and boxes that you need to tick to be a good choice for champion because after all you know we've seen some tremendously successful champions but also let's face it over the years we've seen many times where someone has had a belt put on them and it goes horribly wrong and, and you think to yourself what on earth were they thinking very much like the uh, getting the england cricket captaincy I think sometimes you can, so you can be Michael Vaughan and you can step up and you can be a captain or you can be Michael Atherton and stop scoring runs and have some dirt in your pocket. Although as once I once heard uh, Nick Hancock say, if you were facing Wazzy Macram, you'd have dirt in your trousers as well. Um, <laughs> moving on. Uh, this became a cricket podcast early on in the show. Um, but uh, we should do some uh, housekeeping from last week. Last week's topic was, uh, what was the best ever tag team breakup? 
Now we managed to uh, to get it down into five. Before I do the answer, the results and the answers, did you have any uh, input on that? What would be the top two or three that very quickly spring to your mind? Tag team breakups. I mean, the one that, that sticks in my mind always is the Rockers. That's that's the classic um, because it was it was coming. It was over a matter of weeks. It was something that was built up properly, and that barbershop uh, episode you knew something was going to happen you you pretty much knew what it was going to be but you couldn't help but watch it and and little details like Shawn Michaels as the heel dressed all in black that was that yeah that was absolutely spot on um and i think going back further the the, the mega powers break up that was always good just because of the sheer tension and you just knew those two egos couldn't couldn't really um couldn't coexist very well um, and, and I think even even um, going going back into to like WCW times where where Harlem Heat split up because again you've got well there you've got a, a, a real life situation where anyone who's got a sibling will know that there are times that you and your sibling fall out and then and and that was one of those times so um, they're, they're ones that immediately spring to mind well let's see how the uh, the world voted in terms of the five we went for um, well let's do it from the bottom up you mentioned that the uh, the rockers um, the barbershop window would have been a favourite of yours I think it would have been a favourite of lots of people it was always going to go onto our list of five but it came fourth would you believe in the poll fourth place it was actually very tight this week the last two weeks previous to this uh, whatever the whatever the winner has been has won by a very very long way uh, but this time um, it was uh, it was quite um, quite tight anyway the Rockers 15% or thereabouts it's, there's some decimals afterwards but uh, around about 15% for them coming fourth place the Mega Powers breakup was the last one uh, they got just over 6% tied for second the breakup of the shield and of DIY, meaning with just over 30%, Paul's hustings last week, his going to bat for them has worked. The breakup of the APA is voted the best tag team breakup of all time. How much of that was what people believed? How much was Paul's impassioned speech on the podcast last week responsible? Who knows? But that is the answer. But it should be said. In a very decent amount of uh, votes. Sometimes, quite frankly, if we have a smaller amount of votes, it sometimes doesn't quite tell the story the same way because it only takes a couple of votes to swing something. But there's a decent amount of votes this week. And like I say, 6% to the team for the one in fifth, but 30% to the one that was number one, whereas last couple of weeks the winners had about 80% or so. Uh, so very tight, but the APA just about win it. Your reaction to that, Dean? Well, it was. Um, I mean, we had there was an article up on the um, on the Hooked on Wrestling website not too long ago about that, and it it was a very very well done uh, breakup. It was yeah, it wasn't your typical breakup. It was a lot more subtle than that, and um, and I think yeah, the the DIY was one that un- unlike with the Rockers, the DIY one was was out of the blue. It it, it was a real surprise. So yeah, that that was definitely a good one. I think that is what. Uh... I think that that is what I would have gone for. I think if I if pushed, I would have gone to the DIY one. But uh, it's the APA that win. Uh, congratulations yeah. to them, and indeed on, on a sideways uh, note to Paul because it was him that uh, really really went for it. Uh, just to 
just to wrap things up in terms of the uh, tag teams last week we were talking about tag team breakups um, and we were sad to hear the news this week that in some ways uh, there is a tag team that's reunited uh, and mm-hmm. they are Hawk and Animal uh, thank you for everything to Joe Laurinaitis who was uh, a massive figure in wrestling for a very very long time uh, and our condolences to him and his family yeah what well, you know just a such a unique tag team um as the old saying goes often duplicate often imitated never duplicated you know they spawned so many kind of look alike tag teams but they were the originals um yeah there was and they, at the time that they launched there weren't people using face paint and entrance music and the look they had with the spikes and the shoulder pads they were completely unique i mean i was a i was a big lod fan as a kid i i remember fondly um there was a, a WWF house show in Brighton in I think it was 92 where uh, me and my my friend went and we painted our faces up and he was Hawk and I was Animal and we were I think second row from the front and Animal, Animal saw me and gave me a thumbs up and you know as a kid at the time um, you know it, it, it really makes you your day, week, month and year I mean um, I, I posted something on, on Twitter this week to say, you know, always remember that today's wrestling fans are tomorrow's wrestling stars. And, and you know, it's things like it's things like that, little gestures like that that just help kind of cement people's love for, for this, this great business. Indeed, strong words. And uh, we will move on, lest we be too, uh, too maudlin about it, but uh, sad news. Anyway, today's podcast is all about champions. It is about individual champions. The question is, put simply, who is the greatest champion in wrestling history? Now, that is one of those questions that you can interpret however you wish. We do that quite a lot. We make it a little bit wide open for you to take it how you want to. But here's how I would take it. It is not who is the biggest superstar, the best wrestler, the highest drawing card who has happened to be champion that is not it it's not who is the biggest icon that has been a champion for example and I'll do one early on that I don't think is going to get anywhere in this list I would not prefer Dean someone like The Undertaker for this list he has had championship reigns he has had good championship matches but The Undertaker had he never ever had a belt would not be a lot different in anybody's eyes he'd still be an icon the character would almost be unmoved now had he had no title yes. reigns it would have been very strange because of him you know, having such a big win-loss record being at the top of the card etc but The Undertaker did not need a title the title did not need The Undertaker and when you think of the word champion you don't think of the dead man so that is an example I would offer very early of someone who I would be putting forward but what do you consider as a champion it doesn't matter what belt by the way folks we can be talking about any company any gender any title we are talking about individuals rather than tag teams um, but other than that the field is kind of open is it about the way that they wrestled and defended the belt is it about the way they won it the length of time they held it the way they held it on their shoulder round their waist how they did conduct themselves in interviews, how they dressed, all sorts of things go into making a great champion. Before we name any names, Dean, what do you think of, the, the, what are the qualities that you think of when you think about what what should I need to be focusing on if I'm going to be a great champion? Well, I actually want to throw my first name in because he is the hill that I'm going to die on as far as the greatest champion of ever in my book goes because my, my, my reasons may be slightly different to what 
a lot of other people might think. So am I, can I throw a name in there straight away? This will, this will kind of set the stall up for everyone else. And that name is Ric Flair. Now, obviously, Ric Flair, world champion for many, many years, over several decades, uh, in multiple promotions. But to me, the thing that cements it for me is why, in my eyes, Ric Flair, there'll, there'll never be a better champion than Ric Flair, is go back to the days of the traveling NWA world champion. So we're talking like mid to late 80s. And the NWA at the time was a, um, a, a conglomerate, an, well, an alliance of different regional promotions around America. So each promotion would have their own champion. Um, I mean, we, well, when, when I was at Hammerlock, we became part of the NWA. So we were NWA UK Hammerlock. So we had our NWA UK champion. Um, but then obviously you've also got a, a world champion. So what would happen with, with Ric Flair is he would travel from promotion to promotion, maybe stay a couple of days in one place, fly to another place, fly on to another place, taking on the local champion or a local contender who had normally earned that shot previously on the previous show. And he would have to, often he would have to work with people who he may never have met before. You know, this is before the era of videotape. And Ric Flair's own words um, you know, some he he said some of these people, you know, if, especially if the if the champion was the local promoter who was <laughs> who was booking themselves in that role, some of these people were pretty rotten. But you had to carry them to a you know forty five sixty minute match, and that's where when, one one criticism, quite valid criticism, that is made of Ric Flair is that you know his matches were to a similar routine there is you know the Ric Flair match but the reason for that was that the the heel should usually carry or lead the match and if you've got someone who's a bit clueless or a bit nervous or a bit overwhelmed then Ric Flair can do that match in his sleep and he'll just talk them through it so you had you had that aspect of it the traveling and the the wrestling different opponents in different cities unfamiliar territories but then you also had after the match um and and showbiz paul benson himself has has been in this situation so he would be able to attest to it i don't know if you were around for it as well rob but there was a time when rick flair had a night out in london with showbiz paul benson and you know the sponsors of those those events they would want to have their time after the show with the champ so rick flair would have his nights out drinking partying with these guys then you know go to bed late at night up a few hours later to get on an aeroplane to fly to the next city to do it all over again plus he would always look the part in the ring and out of the ring he would always be turning up in a he'd be in a suit he'd look a million dollars if you saw rick flair doing an interview he was always in a great suit sunglasses really nice shoes he he looked like he was earning big big money, which you know he was, but he looked the part. You don't want your t- your champion turning up in in you know tracksuit or something. So he gave he he looked like something that other people could aspire to. That he was a he was a sign. He had the signs of success. Um, plus, 
he was as reliable as clockwork. Um, you know, you, you never heard about Ric Flair missing bookings. You never heard about um, any kind of um, unprofessional behaviour. There are famous stories about you know, Ric Flair turning up to a venue, looking a bit hungover, going into the dressing room, falling asleep. There's a famous story where Terry Taylor had a, a match as the local champion against Flair, and it was the biggest match of his career, and he was really nervous. And Flair didn't seem to be interested in talking him through the match and wanted to have a bit of a sleep beforehand and and Terry Taylor's getting more and more nervous and Flair kind of turns up five minutes before the match begins and he says leave it with me and just calls this 50-60 minute match in the ring and it's absolutely fantastic and I, I don't think I don't think that anyone's situation nowadays is ever going to be the same nothing this this will never be replicated um that no champion is going to have this kind of schedule or these kind of demands um, put on them where you're not just travelling around the US but you're travelling around the world, I mean there, you know, Flair wrestled in Japan, in New Zealand, in Australia there was a time where he had uh, an unscheduled impromptu title change in the Dominican Republic against the local champion, a guy called Jack Venino because he called it in the ring because he realised that if he won there would be a riot and he didn't fancy being part of that so they kind of put the belt on this other guy and switched it I think somewhere in New Zealand a few days later um, so yeah that's why to me Ric Flair will never ever be topped as the as the greatest champion that there has ever been nah uh, let's talk about Harley Race <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I did that joke last week um, yeah no listen it's a uh, it's a very very strong um, argument and one that I'm certainly not going to be um, confronting um, there's a few things you've brought up during that that I want to uh, elaborate on slightly one is what you said about Ric Flair and criticisms of Ric Flair in terms of his matches being a bit similar um, I have a couple of interest I'm interested in a couple of things about that because one is that I've often heard from do you know there sometimes is, is a thing where if you like one thing you're not allowed to like another like if you're an Oasis fan you're, you're not expected to like Blur as well I'm dating, yeah. dating myself there with that reference or if you think you know Lionel Messi's the best player in the world that somehow is a slight on Cristiano Ronaldo and it's yes. like you are allowed to go well both of these are great um, and it's just sometimes when genres clash I think there's a lot of people that seem to be you're either team Flair or you're team Bret Hart you know because the two of them clearly don't like each other very much and um, it seems to be that you can, one, one side seems to slag off the other side and I've often heard people who are the Ric Flair side of things criticise Bret Hart for being a bit formulaic, which I think is one of the most myopic statements I've ever heard in my life, because that's a huge Bret Hart fan, as you know I am, and we'll get on to him later on. I think Bret Hart's matches are anything but formulaic. I think they are, they are tremendous in terms of the way they play with the formula, and are almost never the same. Um, so the fact that that criticism occasionally comes from the flair side of things, I find astonishing. I think the flair matches are very repetitive, are very similar, and are not always to my taste. But we, what we must remember is that the era in which he was doing it, it only made sense. When, you know, um, Kenneth Branagh is in Hamlet, no one goes to see him one night in Liverpool and then the following night in Manchester and goes, oh, I did the same last night. It's like, well, it's yeah. fucking Hamlet. It's, but he's going to, isn't he? And it's, you don't, and the same with the stand-up comedian. If they have a good show that they tour from one venue to another, or a great singer that sings the same songs, you know, you have an act and you stick with the act. There's, no, there's nothing... There's nothing to criticise that. Now, it's different if you're on telly every week. And, you know, if you are wrestling on Raw every week or you're wrestling on a pay-per-view every other month, 
then clearly you need to have different stuff and different you know ways of going about things because people are watching you all the time. You wouldn't get away with just doing the same episode of something again and again and again. However, Flair didn't have that restriction in, in the era that you're talking about because yeah. when we were talking about Mr. Monday Nitro three weeks ago, you know, some people said, oh, it's got to be Flair. And it's like, no, Flair, Flair barely comes into it in a Nitro sense because so many people were ahead of him by then. He, is, he might be Mr. WCW, but he's not Mr. Nitro because he was an afterthought for so much of the Nitro years. And um, his, his heyday is absolutely the 1980s and uh, the early 90s, as you said. And it is not a fair criticism that Flair had the same matches because... If it's not on the telly, if he's having a match in Portland, Oregon one night, and then he's gonna, you know, he's gonna fly across and have the, the same match in South Dakota the following, who cares? If it's a great yeah. performance and it and it draws money and it and it creates intrigue, who cares if he's doing the same thing? So I don't yeah. see that as a criticism whatsoever. But, uh, but I think also, if if you if you were like a, a a casual fan, and and that is what yeah you would get going to like house shows at times because it was you know it's a night out in the local area. If you didn't know a huge amount about wrestling and you'd seen all these you know local guys wrestling in the undercard, and then Ric Flair comes out with the music, with the blonde hair, with this ten thousand dollar robe that looks amazing, with the big gold belt around his waist. He looks the part, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. Oh, without a shadow, and we'll and we'll we'll certainly come on to that um, uh, on a more general basis. But in in terms of the the performance, and going back to what we were saying about the, you know, seeing the same thing over and over again. If you don't see it over over again, then it actually that doesn't apply. And you know, I for, for example, you've uh, you're a fan of stand up comedy. You've been to the Edinburgh Festival a few times and stuff, haven't you? Indeed, yeah. Well, both of us, you know, like like our stand-ups and know about some different comics and stuff. And I've definitely seen people, especially on a sort of a more local variety show, end of the pier style variety thing, where there's a comic on, listen to a comedian tell some jokes, and everyone's roaring, and I'm not really moved very much. And someone will go, "Did you not think he was funny?" And I'll go, "Well, he seemed like a relatively funny joke, a funny, funny, funny guy." But his first joke was a Tim Vine joke. His second joke was a Lee Mack joke. His third joke was a Lee Evans joke. Like if, you, if you're a bit of a connoisseur of comedy, you just know that he's just reeling off other people's gags. Now, he mm. might be able to do it well, but if he if you are familiar with the material, then that's irrelevant. But we're, we're talking about it in an era where... I'm not saying Flair did Nicky stuff, because he didn't, but it, even even if he had have done it, it doesn't matter, does it? It's all about the being the champ at that time is not what it was like even five years later once Hulkamania was, was kicking off and that was the, the national television, international television product, we are very much talking about the excitement of him coming to your town. And you're, you're right, yes. that, will, that will never happen again. He was, the, he was the champion in an era where, or for most of an era, where that was how wrestling worked everywhere except for, for Vince McMahon's company, which was in its you know, burgeoning uh, period of going national. Um, I'm certainly not going to fight you over Flair. Uh, I think it's undoubtedly going to go into the... Uh, the, the top five, I would imagine, unless we come up with five better candidates during the show. Yeah. But while we, I think Flair. I was going to say Flair as well was was him or, or probably Harley Race is a better example of Harley Race was one of those the last of the era where, um, again, when you had these touring champions, one thing that people or the the promoters, the heads of the NWA particularly were fond of, was putting the belt on someone who was a legit shooter. Um, 
which is where someone like Harley Race, uh, going back even further, Lou Thez is a great example of, of this. I mean, I, I, you know, I can't really qualify too much about them because they're obviously they're well before our time. But the uh, the idea was that if you happened to get the local champion in, I don't know, Tennessee, Arkansas, wherever it may be, who fancied their chances about they might try and shoot on the champion, pin them, and become the world champion. Well, you then make sure that your champion can beat the shit out of anyone that they need to, and Luthers and Harley Race and Bruno Sammartino and people like that all very much fitted that mould. Yeah, they knew a few... Uh a few counters and a few ways out of that um, you actually bring up quite a, an important point which we should we should mention at this stage which is that we are trying we are talking about the greatest and we are not necessarily putting a timeline on this but clearly we can only really talk about things that we know so um, yeah. Dean may or may not want to reveal his uh, his true age or his working age or whatever <laughs> age he wants to go under. I haven't looked at your Wikipedia. I don't know if it says, but uh, 44. I don't have. I sadly don't have a Wikipedia page anymore because they deleted it because I apparently wasn't relevant enough. This was shortly after someone decided to edit it to say that among the people I had managed was Bollocks the Bear. <laughs> And to be fair, you never managed him, did you? You were just a valet. So, exactly. Uh, that's that's yes. not even true. Um, yes. Well, anyway, Dean has admitted his age. I'm 36, so we are um, we're we're not necessarily in a position to go too far back on people. But so we probably won't end up including people like Bob Backlund, like Bruno Sammartino, uh, you know, your, your Buddy Rogers, and you know, the people like that that go back. But Fez is someone I do want to bring up because I have seen clips of Lou Fez. You know, when it's either a, a historical documentary or he turned up a couple of times uh, in sort of like the late 80s, early 90s in WCW as a, um, not necessarily involved in any angles or anything, but just someone that was either presenting a belt or was, you know, interviewed off camera, on camera or something like that. And he did ha- absolutely have that air of, you know, your very, very, um, not mostly sophisticated, but certainly a classy individual, always looked mm. smart, you know, certainly worthy of your. Esteem. I'll give you an example from the WWF side of things, and not that he was the WWF champion, I don't believe, but you know, someone like Gorilla Monsoon. Now, even if you've not met them, you can look at Gorilla a mile off and think, I bet he's a really, really, you know, he des- he's deserving of your adulation and your, you know, if you met him, you feel like you'd probably call him Mr. Yeah. Monsoon, even though that's not his name. <laughs> um, do you know, you yeah. feel like you'd have to be deferential because they they carry themselves so well. And Luther has always seen as yeah. that way to me that he had that sort of absolute. I'm saying had. I don't actually know if he's still with us or not. But he, he is no longer with us. Oh, that's, he that's passed away some time ago. Yeah. Um, but he just yeah. Every time I've ever seen him, and I, and also when you listen, sometimes you listen to people mention people, and the people that count. You know, people whose opinion you really respect, and when they talk about them in a similar way to. Um, I remember being once part of a TNA thing. We were talking about who's the greatest ever British wrestler, and and Dean, uh, that's you, Doug Williams, um, was part of the debate, and other people were bringing him up, and he said, well, "That's very kind of you to say." He, but his opinion was, "I think it's Johnny Saint," and that's what he said. And he talked about it. And Doug's the kind of person that when he talks, you listen. And so yeah. I have been more aware, not wary, that's not the right word, but more aware of Johnny Saint and his work and his legacy since Doug made that comment because I thought oh if Doug thinks that that must be something and similar for Rollable Rocco who we lost recently um, it was only really when 
Um, William Regal, I did an interview with William Regal once and he told me about this match between Marty Jones and, and Rollerball Rocco from I think 1976-77 which is on YouTube oh I know um, the one which yes. is an absolutely stunning match and, and like I wouldn't have known about that had Regal not mentioned it but because I, I, I find Regal you know such an intelligent such a you know a good person to follow um, you know I learnt that way so I think you can learn at the feet of these people and I've always always heard people like Jim Ross or various others of the era if they talk about they talk about Mr. Thez you know, he's got that much yes. clout. Yeah. It's a really good point that you make, Rob, because I think one something I wanted to, to bring up, and I think now's a perfect time to do it, is from from the, the other side of the curtain as such. From you know, I I've 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 been a booker and I've I've assisted promoters a long over a long period of time and when you're considering your your plans of, you know, who you want to put the, the championship belt on there's so many criteria that you you want to ensure and that you that you tick and one of them is is that they've got the respect of their peers yeah uh, uh, because if you know if um say you know say bill watts decided to make eric watts the world champion when he was running wcw that would have been absolutely shat on by everyone including the wrestlers because he hadn't paid his dues rick flair or or uh bret hart or whoever like that or, or johnny saint they're you know they they're all people who have the complete respect of their peers so therefore you know people don't mind don't have any objections to losing to them they don't have any objections to the the champion calling and carrying the match um also how you present yourself in and out of the ring as I mentioned with Flair um, and another great example in Britain was um, Wayne Bridges who passed away just a few months ago actually he was uh, per- like the perennial world heavyweight champion in Britain um, always turned up to matches in a suit always presented himself as a champion and the, because the, the champion is the representative the, the top rep of your company um, so if you have got um, someone doing publicity, you've got someone on you know, mainstream television and a non-wrestling fan or a casual fan sees that person, they want to have a good image of the company. So if you've got this, this well-spoken, smartly dressed person, it's not the mainstream public's image of a wrestler. Um, which is where you know a flair comes into it, and I think John Cena. Let's throw that name in. John Cena is a great example of that. Not just all the all the charity stuff he does, but the fact that you could put John Cena. Now, admittedly, he probably wouldn't be wearing a suit because it doesn't fit with the gimmick. He's kind of the exception that proves the rule. But you know, you could put John Cena on a talk show, or you could have him on I don't know, you know, Sunday brunch on Channel Four, or you could have him on Jonathan Ross or something like that and you know that he would represent himself and your company well so when you're choosing your champion you you want to have that person that you can be proud of and who who your entire company can be proud of as their representative and that's why when you see when you see people getting genuinely emotional about winning a title belt 
like like Drew McIntyre at the last WrestleMania. That is the reason why. It's not just acting because they've won the big belt. It's because of not just what it it's what it means to them because the company is putting its faith and its trust in you to represent them across the world. Yes, without a shadow of a doubt, and I think that was probably the black mark against Daniel Bryan, wasn't it? During that whole yes, yes, yes era and push, was that you know they clearly, you know, some of the top brass clearly looked at him and went, "This is the guy that's got to go on," you know, Jimmy Kimmel or Regis and Kathy yeah. Lee or whatever, and he just he just doesn't look like a champion. He looks like the uh, he looks like the strange sidekick to uh, to Frodo, you know, he doesn't he doesn't look like the uh, the, the world champion, and it, people go. Your champ used to be the Hulk Hogan, and it used to be the Rock, and now it's this guy, and it's like—I mean—that would absolutely have uh, played in. I would argue that the Daniel Bryan momentum in within wrestling was so big that they should have gone with him to a greater extent than they did, because it would have been so big within their industry that what counted outside wouldn't have mattered. But that's not the way they always necessarily look at things. Let's come to John Cena next. I just want to um, make a couple of other points that you just made there in terms of. Um, things like nepotism this is going to sound like a very strange story for me to go to but it has got a point here um, a few, <laughs> okay. quite a few years ago I started coaching uh, or helping to coach a local uh, youth football team uh, in my town I played a bit for the, for the team and there was a, a relatively new uh, team of youngsters that was that was around and I've got a couple of coaching um, qualifications and I said oh, I'd like to help out with the, uh, the coaching of the squad so I was essentially a, an assistant manager um, and I'd known the guy that was manager for, for quite some time. Used to play with him, and um, it, I was, you know, helping out with that team and doing some coaching and, and being at the games and stuff as an, as an assistant for months until I found out that the lad that was the captain was also the nephew of the manager, right? Right. But it was not the whole kind of I'm picking my son because he's my son, or I'm picking my nephew because he's my nephew, and that kind of I'm pushing my son, you know, Eric Watts or. Garrett Bischoff or you know whoever yeah. else has had that that you know the parental push um even Dustin Rhodes although Dustin turned out to be pretty good um <laughs> yes you know that's you know it happens um so it, but it wasn't the fact is I was surprised to find out that thing because the lad was called Steve I won't, I won't say a full name just in case anyone knows him but the lad was called Steve but Steve was a captain you know he wasn't necessarily the best player in the team but he was he was punk I mean I'm talking like 12 or 13 year olds here I'm not talking about you know serious professional footballers but he was always on time. He was always polite. Uh, you know, he worked really hard. You could let him take the warm up, and but crucially, the other lads liked him. You know, if, if we said Stevie take the warm up, I was just tell a thirteen-year-old to lead his peers in a little warm up. But he would go, okay, lads, run to here and back, and they would do it with him. And you thought, well, he had the respect of his teammates, despite the. So it didn't matter the fact that he was the nephew of the uh, of the coach. That sounds a really strange point to be making about under 13s football when we're talking about wrestling champions. But I'm following on from what Dean said about being that person that people will respect, and it's like yes. particularly when it's peers. It's one thing to be manager down to people who work for you. You know, you're a level above them on the on the. You've got people that work below you, Dean. You're you're a manager. You know, yeah. you're a line manager. People work underneath you, and it, it helps if they respect you. But you know, realistically, they're below you. They've got to do their job. But if you're on the same sort of level and you're sort of a team leader, I'm going to do the office now, Gareth, team leader. But um, you know, you do need those people around. And I think I think a good champion in wrestling could be looked at akin to being a good captain in football there are certainly people that you can see a mile off just look like a good captain look like people that are not just the, the captain because they're the best player which often happens in international football but 
you know, at league level, they might be able to do something, you know, that can either inspire their teammates, either by what they do or what they say. And you think of people like, you know, Brian Robson or Steven Gerrard or Vincent Company or whoever it might be, and you can see why. Oh, I can see why they'd be a captain. I can see why they would inspire other people. And remind me to come back to that when we talk about someone yeah. later on that may or may not wear some black and some pink in his outfits. Um, and, and it's yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that because there was a, a lot of the time in in Britain where you had um, a wrestler uh, with his his son starting to wrestle. Not all the time at all, but some of the time they would um, give them a different name and completely kayfabe the fact they were related. And actually, Wayne Bridges is a very good example of this because um, Wayne Bridges had uh, a son who became a professional wrestler and he was given he gave him the ring name of Dean Briscoe. Um, Briscoe spelt the same and named after Jack and Jerry Briscoe, who he'd worked with a lot in, in Japan. Um, and it was obviously this was in the uh, very much a pre-kayfabe pre-internet era where people didn't know any as much info nobody apart from the most you know rabid of insiders nobody knew that dean briscoe was related to to wayne bridges at all so um as far as the fans went there was no like push um or you know, un- unwarranted push and I mean sadly he died very young so he, he was never able to we were never able to see what, what potential he could have had but that was something that happened happened a fair bit um, in in Britain where they would just kayfabe that so that people would actually be able to make it on their own merits but I think someone like Dustin Rhodes um, and, and I think Dustin Rhodes while not ever a world champion I'm sure this is something we'll get onto later he was I think a perfect secondary level champion like a US or IC champion while he got his initial kind of attention because he was Dusty Rhodes' son once people got in the ring with him they realised you know, they, they quickly respected him they realised that he was he was the real deal and you know, that's something that you, you brought up there that the, the initial attention might be because of the because of the family connections, but if they can't hack it in the ring, they get found out very quickly. Agreed, without a shadow of a doubt. And because I think that's, a, that's definitely a podcast for another time, isn't it? The uh, the greatest or perhaps the least greatest father son combination or uh, second generation, third generation sort of thing. We could do that on another another topic, I'm sure. Um, but yeah. let's, let's talk Cena. You brought Cena up. Um, He's the closest there is to a modern equivalent of flair. Um, not necessarily in terms of style, not necessarily in terms of... I'm talking style in the ring or style of dress, or even in terms of uh, the schedule or anything like that. But the the one in terms of the long term, there for a decade or more, um, if we need... He's a, he's a go-to champ. Probably not anymore, yeah. but certainly at any point in the uh, the last 15 years or so, if we don't quite know what we're doing with the belt, We'll put it on Flair. Uh, we'll put it on Cena, uh, and then we'll work out something from there. And he would very, very, very rarely let you down. Um, mm. You know, one thing in particular I'd like to talk about in a second is the uh, is the, the United States Championship reign that he had. Uh, but first of all, when you break onto the scene, and I think his first would his first title have been the U.S. title? Yeah, is that right? So even going right back to his very first title being the US title, I think was that big big show. The match with Big the Show, WrestleMania, maybe 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 WrestleMania twenty, I think. Um, and right from the very start, the champ is here. 
is that if you can get yourself a catchphrase over that's got the word champ in it, you're onto something, aren't you? Because they're like, oh, we can give Cena the belt because he says I'm the champ quite a bit. Yeah. Same goes for the uh, New Day doing their um, your, uh, your, the, the champions in their intro or the um, the New, out- Age, New Age Outlaws champions of the world. It's a good idea, folks. It's a good thing to get into your gimmick. But from although, the start, having, having said that, the Hong Tonk Man never got another IC title. <laughs> well, there, there, there is that, but uh, I think there's other reasons for that. But you know, Cena just did feel like that champion quite early on, um, and all the way through. You know, so in the ring, you know, you feel like his championship matches mean something. It's the sheer amount of titles that he's had that sometimes annoys me a little bit. That whole because it's one thing to be, you know, ten times winners of the FA Cup final or the World Cup or the Super Bowl or whatever, but you know, winning a, ta- a title ten times means you've lost it nine. But um, if, even that aside, you do feel like you know he's always carried that that belt well enough. And as you as you said very very astutely earlier on, you know you can rely on Cena, can't you? In, a, in an interview, he's very rarely going to let you down, going to drop you in it. Um, although funnily enough, the the one time I can remember interviewing John Cena. Um, the, the standout quote was a standout because it was such a silly thing to say but this was not long after they'd brought back ECW as a brand uh, and so I think I think Cena might have been the champion at the time I'm not sure but I uh, I asked about you know the nature of ECW having a, ta- a championship and did it dilute having three world champions and, yeah. he, and he said well actually uh, they've just brought back superstars as a brand uh, and I think that should have its own world title as well um, so John Cena thought that there should have been the world champion on superstars. That is how much of a company man he is, folks. Uh, that was nonsense and a very silly thing to say. But generally speaking, uh, Cena talks a lot of sense in interviews and is uh, a, a brilliant, brilliant company ambassador. Add in the Make-A-Wish, um, add in the acting, add in the very sensible haircut that he got himself two or three years ago. Um, <laughs> he's not just a champion for WWE, but he's a, he really is a brand ambassador, isn't he? Yeah, uh, and this is another thing that you want to you want to consider with your champions um, is are they likely to bring your company into disrepute? Um, and yeah, you look at someone like I mean, okay, Flair had a a colourful private life, shall we say? But but that's what um, you wanted then. That was yeah. very on brand. If you were a wrestling organisation, particularly a one that seemed, when you know, the WWF, the WWE under Vince McMahon, Vince wants them to be accepted in the mainstream. But pretty much every wrestling promoter, other than him ever, is quite happy for wrestlers to look like outlaws and to look like you know different and rough around the edges and, and whatever. So actually, Flair being Flair probably wouldn't have worked working for Vince in the 80s, but working for who he did work for, that only him you know living the gimmick only added to his uh, nature of being the champ. I think so, yeah. Where, yeah. Whereas someone like like Cena, someone like Bret Hart, they they are, you know, the word you use the spot on there, ambassadors. I mean, when uh, you've you've spent time with Bret Hart as well, but when um when I I did a, a spoken word tour with Bret Hart a few years ago, I have I can put my hand on no pun intended. I can put my hand on my heart and say, I have I have never seen one man so dedicated to his fans there was one evening where um, we stayed until one o'clock in the morning because he was talking with fans who'd come to see him we went to Sky Sports um, 
new Sky Sports News Studios to um, see some um, some media work there, and um, when he went in and when he came out, every single person who said, "Can I get a photo?" He was he took time to not just have a photo, but to shake their hand, to say hello, have a chat with them. I've never, I, I doubt I ever will meet anyone like that again. Um, and and you know, again, this is part of that. That and I know it's a real kind of. 2020 buzzword but a brand ambassador is exactly what you want from these people as your champ again we'll come on to a few more Brett things uh, in, in a wee bit but certainly something that Cena I think added to his repertoire which was along the Brett Hart lines was and we talked about this um, on Sunday when we were doing the quiz but the, the John Cena US Open Challenge uh, which mm. was what four or five years ago started after Wrestlemania went all the way through to SummerSlam that year was the best thing that was on TV every week um, you didn't know who it was going to be uh, and that was the key you didn't that know, was the key to it but not only did you know who it was going to be it was also the when it almost never let you down um, sometimes it was a lesser name sometimes it was a big name but it was almost always a good match and the people it helped you know even someone that was already good and everyone knew he was good but it just gave a bit more credibility to Cesaro it gave a bit more credibility yeah. to Adrian Neville it gave you a debut to Sami Zayn even though he got injured it gave you the impact that Kevin Owens made yeah um, and look at look at Kevin Owens I don't you know, there have been so many people that have come up from NXT to the main WWE roster who have, have sunk and you look at that debut that they gave to Kevin Owens and he never looks back he has been successful in every role he's had since then and I believe it's all off the back of that debut yeah I agree entirely I think I think there are definitely sometimes not always debuts but there are definitely instances that can happen in people's career and it can sustain them for a long while I've often yeah, said that you, the, you look, the Batista um, turn when Batista turned on Triple H that mm. unbelievably slow but quality build up to that moment and then Batista turned and then they had the match and then he beat Triple H again and again and again and that solidified Batista now he topped it up with a couple of good performances against Undertaker but basically two or three years later when Batista was kind of limping his way through matches he was still getting great reactions and still getting the reaction yeah. he was supposed to get and actually I would argue that his performance had, had dipped massively but he got so far because of that push that he got. I don't mean I don't mean push in the in the wrestling sense, but I do mean you know the momentum he gathered by that that program against Triple H. And you're absolutely yeah. right about Owens. You know, what he got coming out of the gate there. And by the way, he didn't even wrestle John Cena in that open challenge. No, you know he met John Cena and just beat him up. There wasn't yeah. there wasn't even an actual match. And I'll tell you I'll tell you something from just just a few months ago, which is along along similar lines in in AEW. I mean, they pretty much stole it from WWE, but yeah, if it works, why not? Was when um, Cody Rhodes had um, an open challenge for the TNT title, mm-hmm. and out of the blue, because he wasn't signed to the company at the time, out of the blue comes Eddie Kingston, cuts this absolute killer promo, which is like just the absolute perfect example of a, an introductory promo for people who don't know who you are has a great match to go with it and is creates such a buzz about himself that AEW sign him up to a deal um, so you know, that that was a, a great example again of, of how to kind of introduce yourself but that all came off the back of, of Cody Rhodes as, as a, the first ever TNT champion in, in all league wrestling well and uh, to 
go back to what we were saying, one of the opponents, probably one of the least thought about opponents of John Cena in that US Open title challenge was, I believe, Stardust. Stardust, yeah. And so, you know, it's a... Uh, listen, no one is suggesting that the John Cena Open Challenge was the first Open Challenge ever, so you can accuse Cody all you like of plagiarism <laughs> or copycatting or whatever, but no, I don't blame him. If something works, you'd be daft oh, not no. to try and use it. Absolutely. As, as uh, my mentor, Andre Baker, always said to me, everything you can think of has already been done. You just need to tweak it a little bit. Um, and I think, actually, looking down my list of people while we're just talking about AEW, I think that there wouldn't have been any... Well, there wouldn't have been any better choice for the for the first AEW champion than Chris Jericho. I think he was absolutely perfect in that role because he was a name from WWE. He had you know, that first ever um, unified champion where he beat was it, he beat Stone Cold and The Rock in the same night. I think indeed. Um, he was you know his experience. He could he could think on his feet and handle any situation. He had the name value, but also, again, what we've been saying about he looked the part, he knew how to conduct himself, he knew how to be a brand ambassador. With, and I know I'm repeating myself, but that's because all of these boxes keep being ticked by the good choices of champion. And he was absolutely the perfect man to launch a new promotion. It's very interesting how that you look at that as being a great choice of champion. And I absolutely agree. You know, someone out of the out of the gate to put the title on, to give it some credibility, blah, 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 blah. But I don't think of... If I just think of his WWE run, I, I love Jericho. I think he's one of the... He, I think he's still somewhat underrated. I think the people still don't realise just how good he is and has been. The guy's about to turn 50. Right? Really? And it's like... It's one thing to keep on going for a little while and know that your star is fading um, and your wrestling ability is fading but you can get by on a bit of charisma. But the guy can still work. You know, I've not seen lots and lots of his AEW matches, but only two or three years ago, he was having fabulous matches in New Japan, you know, against people like Kenny Omega and whatever. And it's like, the guy is still great in the ring, or certainly was as of a couple of years ago. Maybe not no, as good, I'd say he still is. Maybe yeah. not as good as he was 10 years ago, but he's still great. He's still better than 95% of the world's wrestling. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, because, you know, you, you learn your way around things. Um and I still think he's a little bit underrated by people in terms of his career but I've never thought of him as being a champion I don't think, I mean, I forget the fact that he's been the Intercontinental Champion more times than anyone else, when has he ever had a really memorable Intercontinental title run, other than maybe his first one or two when he was wrestling people like Benoit and Angle and, and whatever, I don't think he's ever had any memorable ones, and of course yes, there's the, the Unified Championship where you talk about the, the beating Stone Cold and Rock in the same night, of course he cheated against both of them, but that plays into the narrative um, but you know, I, I just I don't see Chris Jericho as a champion. He's not someone that I think of as a champion. But you make a, you do make a good point about why why, why he was a good choice for AEW because yeah. it's all about context. Yeah, I think as far as the, to answer your question about the Intercontinental Champion, I think he's a victim of his time in that. Um, this is something I think we, we mentioned when we were talking off air that so that, that he was the champion in an era where the title changed hands so many times. Um, I mean, didn't I know when we we have we have the the hooked on wrestling quiz every Sunday night, and there's a, a question 
um, last week about what year the WWE Championship or WWF as it was then Championship changed the most times and it was in 1999 it was something like 11 times I think the, 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 the main world title changed hands so the more you do that the, unfortunately the less prestigious the, the title becomes and the less memorable those reigns become that is true uh, that is true <laughs> you just said the word reigns um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to jump on a point that I was going to um, suggest that we do a bit later on, but it might be the time to do it now because we've just done Cena. Um, are there any other modern examples of a really good chance? But we'll, we'll, we'll stick specifically in WWE for the time being, um, but we absolutely can open this up to any company. This is not a, a one company um, topic. But specifically in WWE, which is the one that's dominated the landscape over the last generation or half generation, is there anyone that really stands out as being a great champion, you know, having those qualities? Because, you know, they've tended to have that conversation about who is the face of the company, haven't they? They've done that publicly and talked about the person that's the, the, the talked about wrestler like Roman. Roman Reigns is obviously the, the reference I'm making. I think Drew McIntyre is on his way to being a very good champion, but he's not held it for long enough yet. Um, there are various others that have had runs with the title but uh, I've got one name which I'll keep up my sleeve for the time being but can you think of anyone in the last say 10 years other than John Cena that makes you go ah that guy's a champion and it doesn't have to be the world title it could be any title belt although I'd probably stop a little bit short of uh, R-Truth being associated with the 24-7 gen <laughs> I mean when I think of you know, in modern times WWE champion the one person, or you know, one one person that I, I think of an awful lot, just because of the length of time he held it for, is Brock Lesnar. Okay. But Brock Lesnar doesn't tick a lot of those other boxes, and and therefore that's why he's not on my list because Brock Lesnar is a legit tough guy. You know, he, I mean, not that you need to have a, a shooter in in there anymore, but he people know people know him. He looks realistic because he is realistic you can put him on the poster and he'll draw people in however he's unlikely to to rock up in a or walk through an airport in a suit but most of you could you imagine Brock Lesnar on on your Jimmy Kimmel or Regis and Kathy Lee show not at all he he's not that kind of person um he he got you know he got into that that position just uh, I think through the fact that they're paying him an awful lot of money because he was an excellent negotiator between WWE and UFC and, and and you know he can he can work those big match style of matches but you know he's he's not someone that would turn up every every week there's often a lot of criticism of him about you know the fact that he was sort of on a part time schedule um so yeah he's he's a guy that I I associate with the modern era of champion but it certainly isn't someone that would meet all the criteria for me no it's a good um, it's a good point you make and I think also when you're talking um, about him goodness me that's just got me thinking now because everything you just said about Flair and the era that he was in and what he had to do travelling from place to place can you imagine Brock Lesnar <laughs> in that no. same role no I absolutely can I think it would have been amazing but he he, he doesn't like wrestling and no, forget, that, like forget, that. That, forget that forget that forget the fact that he doesn't like doing it That's it. I'm talking about the character the character oh, what, of he just rocked up going from place to place as the legitimate champ but then get, 
again get into your town because the whole point about um, that we go uh, we'll keep going back to the flare because it's a good starting point and it's the one that you can compare everyone else to but the whole point about Flair going from place to place to place was that he always looked like he was going to lose. Didn't yes. he? Yes. And he often did lose. He would lose a tag match or he would lose a, um, a by, by lose by DQ or whatever. And he would leave with the people in that town going, do you know what? I think our guy's tougher than that guy. I think he got away with that. Mm. Well, now Lesnar would bring it from a different perspective. But the biggest thing about Brock Lesnar most underrated thing about Brock Lesnar and perhaps he doesn't do it all the time perhaps it depends on who he's against but Brock Lesnar is an unbelievable seller Yes. when Brock Lesnar wants to look like he's hurt Brock Lesnar sells like a murder that match, I can't remember which pay-per-view it was at but the match he had with Daniel Bryan was that a Survivor Series I think Mm. where and I remember watching it and it was you know suplex 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 and and you think and I remember watching it and getting always getting a bit angry like oh god not this again this is so boring they always they always do this it's why don't they change the scripts and then all of a sudden some I think Daniel Bryan like slipped out of a of a, a suplex attempt and like clipped in Lesnar's knee or something I, I, I can't remember exactly what it was off the top of my head but basically like the match turned on one split second incident and then Lesnar was selling and Brian was in charge and Brian was on top and and you're watching this and the crowd lit up because they had built it up perfectly to where people were they they brought people down to the point that yeah you people were almost going to walk out of the building because they didn't want to see the rest of it and then you suddenly hear the you know see this this change in the match and all of a sudden you're brought you're brought back into it um very much like when when Lesnar was dominating in the Royal Rumble this year and then when Drew McIntyre came and eliminated him the place absolutely erupted and and that outpouring of emotion which famously made, went viral with the clip of the, the Hooked on Wrestling Party in Glasgow that, em, that emotion carried Drew McIntyre all the way to Wrestlemania obviously the, the, the momentum halted with, with with the restrictions around COVID, but you could tell exactly what they wanted to do, and and they were getting that exact um, emotion out of how Lesnar was was selling. Yeah, I, I was going to mention that, you know, until you did, and I'm pleased you did. It's because it was sometimes the you know, oh, he dominated, and it was so boring because he dominated. There's like, no, he made it because he dominated, because you knew he was going to get knocked off his perch at some point, and the way he did it, he made he made. McIntyre looked like a superstar and by the way it's not the first time because he did it for Goldberg you know not long ago when you know Goldberg just turned up and beat the hell out of him twice and made mm. you believe and people wanted that story and then it was like you know Lesnar's so good and it's like it's, the, the, the people that take against Lesnar aren't really taking against Brock they're taking against the company and they're taking against the nature of the part time champ and, and all that kind of stuff um, I just love the idea of Brock Lesnar turning up in your town this absolute monster, you know, cannot be beaten. But then your hometown guy starts a comeback, and, and Lesnar sells. Do you know what it is? It's 1988 or whenever it was, and it's Harry Carpenter, you know, shouting, and he's hurt Tyson. Get yes. in there, Frank, because Mike Tyson was always a better boxer than 
Frank Bruno by an absolute country mile. But we loved Bruno because he had this kind of everyman quality and the funny laugh and the pantos and everything that was about Frank. He wasn't even in, even in the same stratosphere as Tyson. But he landed one punch or landed one combo. And Harry got excited and we all got excited and we thought Frank Bruno could beat Tyson. Ridiculous. But we thought he could. And it's that moment, isn't it? It's that one moment. And it's a, it's a tiny little thing, but... You know, I've always I'm a I'm a golfer. I like playing golf, and I've played rounds where I've been terrible for 17 holes, and I've played the 18th hole and I've birdied it, and I go, I can play this game, and it doesn't matter that I was shit for 17 holes. I hit I had one good one, and it means I know yeah. I can do it, and I can birdie a hole, and I can throw 180, and I can bend a tree kick in the top corner, and for that moment, I'm as good as anyone in the world. It's just Absolutely. all the other all the other moments I'm not, and I think that's the point is that if you can say, if Brock Lesnar turns up, the home hometown guy hits him several times, Lesnar looks at him, snarls, hits an F5, and it's over. Well, there's no point. But yeah. if he does that thing and he sells and he sells and he sells, and then Heyman gets on the apron and the guy gets distracted, and then Lesnar hits him from behind, the crowd can go, ah, oh, he'd have had him there. And I'm obviously I'm yeah. talking about an era where you got invested like that and you didn't think of it all being like a story. Um, yeah. And as I mentioned, I always say in commentary, it only takes three seconds to win a, a wrestling match. And you don't have to to pin someone by you know, knocking them out and, and pinning them with one foot on their chest. You, know, you can pin someone with a, a quick roll-up where you pin their shoulders to the floor and, uh, in three seconds and th- in three and a half seconds they've got out and they spring up and they're, they're, they're fine to continue. But the match is over. There's different ways of beating people. Of course there are, and it's, it's, there's a lot of very, very good matches that have had end, endings like that over the years because you know a wrestler can beat the big guy by doing something with a small package. Or we've, hey, not long ago, we saw McIntyre winning with a bloody um, backslide. When did anyone ever win with Ooh. a backslide? Um, but I love that. Um, right, we, we, we're a little bit... Um, we've lost focus a wee bit. Let's bring it back. Uh, we're going to say that we've obviously... We've, we've, Flair's going to be on our list... Are we are we happy with Cena being someone that was going to be in, ultimately in the shake-up? Definitely. We, we don't have to decide the five right now, but he's absolutely in the next level of the uh, of the chat. But would you say what about Lesnar? Is Lesnar someone that we can we can realistically put forward to that same sort of level? I I don't think so. Not with as I said, not with the. I mean, in in the ring, yes, but I think being being champion is so much more than just what you do in the ring and I think as far as the the brand ambassador, the outside the ring, that kind of thing, I don't think he makes the he makes the cut for me I'm not nearly as down on Lesnar as a lot of people are um, both in his abilities as a wrestler and indeed the way he's been used I actually think quite a lot of his use over the years in terms of a part time guy has been has been fitting, has been quite well done. But I think in the, the standard that we're talking about here, I just don't think he quite gets there. I would, it would be he would get a passing grade from me, but you know, <laughs> yes, we are talking A and A star level here, and I, I think he'd be a, you know, uh, he would be a, a little bit below that level. Um, so I will take him off. There's only one other name I wanted to mention from a, a more modern standpoint, and again, I don't think I would have them at the very, very top. But I think the closest anyone has got for me over the last five, six years of holding... Sometimes it's just the way they hold a belt. It might that might be the tiniest little thing, but just simply the way that they carry it, either around their waist or over their shoulder or whatever, they just give it some dignity. And he yeah. was someone that did that. He had great matches. 
and the way they structured the TV show around him, I would give a little nod to AJ Styles. And I would also back that up with, I felt that when he was the champion in TNA, he felt like the TNA guy. You know, they, I was just about to say, to me, yeah, TNA was a more impressive reign than anything in the WWE. Yeah, in terms of we, you know, our, our starting point was you know recent WWE history, and I think he, I think he has a good WWE title reign behind him. I think he was champ for more than a year, wasn't he? And Ooh. and and he felt like SmackDown was his show, and the whole face that runs the place, and all that kind of thing. There was a real build around Styles as a champion. It felt like his one of his points was to be the champion, to try and be the best, to try and win. He's a wrestler. I think it's easier for wrestlers to be champion. Do you know what I mean? The ones that, you know, they're, what they're about is in the ring, trying to pin someone or, or tap them out. It's easier to have a belief of them trying to be the best and actually trying to win the goal, the, the, you know, the, the belt at the end of it, the prize at the end of it. And I also think that whenever, there's lots of other people that have been very good in TNA. You know, early in the early days, Jeff Jarrett was the, was the linchpin. There was Kurt when he came along, Samoa Joe, um, you know, at times. But I think AJ is the one that, you know, he feels like when AJ was the, the, the TNA champion, it meant something. And he's had a good run in, in WWE. So I would be tempted... I think we will find other people better, but I would be tempted to offer AJ onto the next level. I would, I would not disagree with that. I have to say, I would not disagree with that. Where do we um, just think about sort of the going back a little bit? I'm thinking of the the sort of the the mid '90s era of, of Bret Hart and, and one person we haven't really mentioned, Steve Austin. Okay. Um, should we do Brett? We've done. We've we've already touched on him a, a, a few times. Yeah. Let, let's let's round that off, and then we'll uh, we'll come to Austin uh, in in a wee bit. Um, you talked you talked about um, Brett Hart. Just to get everyone clear, I'm sure most of you listening do uh, do know mine and Dean's background, but uh, most of us have have hosted shows with Brett Hart in the Q and A. You know, call them one man show. You know, things if you like. That's not quite right because it's two of us. Um, but uh, you know, Brett's come over a couple of times and done the. Uh, the whole Q&A circuit in fact many times but I've probably you know I did a few shows with him Dean's done a couple and it's it's you do Dean is right from what the story he told about you know him talking to his fans and stuff you know it's not but it's a two way street it's not just how much Brett cares about his fans it's about how much the fans care about Brett and I've never really met any other wrestler whose fans do have that level of commitment you'll have the odd um, you know, younger, like you think of, I can think back into the, that sort of era when, when Shawn Michaels was champion, you seem to fit, you seem to have the odd, you know, teenage girl or a girl in their early 20s that idolised Shawn the way that they would idolise, you know, Take That or the Backstreet Boys, but you grow out of that, um, and there might be a no- nature of being a Hulkamaniac or shaving your hair and your goatee like Austin or whatever, but it feels to me like Brett's fans aren't necessarily that they want to be like Brett, they just respect that what a hero he was. Mm. Um, and just you never lose that level of of respect. You know, I you know people say that Brett's you know over egg in the pudding when he says that he got more fan mail than Hogan. But I've heard that from other people. You know, I've heard that from other people other than Brett, and they will say no, Brett was the super popular, and um, especially in Europe. You know, when he travelled over here, and like the, for whatever reason, Brit, the Brits and the Germans in particular, and actually in South Africa, it should be noted, absolutely adored Brett. Brett was the mm. Brett was the worldwide guy. You know, I would dare, I would dare say this doesn't have, a, have an effect on TV figures and 
merchandising and, and you know pay-per-views and whatever but I would go as far as to say that internationally I would say that Bret Hart was just as big a star as Hulk Hogan was um, within wrestling fans I'm not talking about the mainstream but with you know, wrestling fans worldwide you know Bret was the guy people absolutely you know idolised him and yeah and the fact that that's still going says a great deal and I'll offer one more little extra story is that um I hosted the, um, I think it was 2005, 2015 we did it, the London Wrestling Convention. Um, and while I had a ball doing my job, which was you know, to actually do the announcements and do some interviews and, and keep the whole thing together as MC, I think what I enjoyed, it was a Saturday and Sunday event, and I think what I enjoyed most was the Friday night, um, as everyone arrived. Um, because not only was I, was I part of the team sort of welcoming people and helping them check in and ex- explaining how the whole weekend was going to work and when we needed them, etc., etc., um, and I should say that was organised by uh, my friend Paul Inwood at um, PSI Events who did a, an unbelievable job for those sort of shows for a little while and I was hugely um, proud to be part of those um, you know I was just a small cog in the wheel but when everyone was arriving it was very cool because what often they would do was arrive you know find their hotel room drop their stuff off and come down to the, the lounge uh, to the bar for a beer and you got to see these guys and some of them would see each other fairly regularly on the convention circuit but sometimes they don't see each other for ages and ages and so you got to see these wrestlers catching up with one another and so it was fun watching you know the Mountie have a beer with Tatanka and it was fun watching you know the Nasty Boys having seen Nikolai Volkov for the first time in however long or you know whatever it was these were nice moments even the boys even the ones that have got their own um, egos and their own opinions about themselves and what and you know you know their own fan clubs and whatever when Bret Hart walked in that room his peers just went that's our guy they hugged him and they shook his hand and they asked how he was and you know Tatanka and Jacques Rougeau and you know others of that sort of era were so excited to see Bret Hart you know he it was almost like they were fans of his as well and it was like, he obviously meant so much. So, now listen, I'm not knocking Shawn Michaels, who in my experience has been, has been very civil. I enjoyed working. I've worked with Shawn twice. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Um, he's very, you know, interesting person to talk to. We had a great journey once in the bus from Manchester up to Glasgow, where he was asking me lots and lots of things about British wrestling, which is something I wish I could have told him more about. But, you know, I like Shawn Michaels as a man. He's a very, very nice fella. But Shawn kind of turned up to that event and kept himself to himself and you didn't really see him outside of his signings and he had his own little room and he saw, you didn't really see that the guys didn't go oh where's Sean I want to see Sean but they went Brett's here oh fantastic and there was just yeah. something about that and that was really, really and then the younger guys you know the ones that weren't his particular peer group but they were, but they were a bit younger like uh, who, who did we have there like so your, your Chavo Guerreros um, and even people like you know the the Godfather and, um, and and Trish and Lita and whoever else we had, they were excited to see Brett. You know, it was it was I I it was, it's one thing to see fans think that way, but to see his peers think that way, as a huge Bret Hart fan, that meant the world to me to see what that what those people cared about him. And I, I think there's a, another thing with with Bret Hart is when you look at WWF WWE champions, he is. He is the um, the what's the word the f- the fulcrum on the the seesaw of how it swings from one one end to the other because 
prior to to Bret Hart, you think about the, the the big champions you had at the time, whether that be the world champion or the intercontinental champion. So you, I'm talking about Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, Honky Tonk Man, Rick Rude, people like that. They were like caricatures. They were larger than life characters. Bret Hart came across as a real person, mm-hmm. as did. Shawn Michaels, Steve Austin after, and, and really what we've had ever since then, probably with the, with the exception of The Undertaker, what we've had since Bret Hart is this, this moving into wrestlers being, generally speaking, real people rather than characters, and, and that all fits in with, you know, with the social media situation that, that you get now, which obviously wasn't around then. Um, and I think that's that's probably why you know there would be more more fan mail for Bret Hart than Hulk Hogan, for example, because you you you, know, you don't want to you'd feel a bit silly writing a fan letter to Superman, or you'd, <laughs> you'd you'd feel silly writing a letter to Deadpool, but you'd be happier writing a letter or an email to to Ryan Reynolds. It's it's that kind of thing where it's a real person that people connect with. Uh, absolutely, that's very ultra topical there from Dean. And literally, as we came on, as we started to record this, we found out that Ryan Reynolds appears to be interested in buying Wrexham Football Club. Not, a, <laughs> not a joke. Welcome to 2020. Yeah. Uh, but back, to, back to Brett, um, and you know, a different kind of hero. That was absolutely his. Um, you think of Brett as being that Canadian hero, and his fans talking about him being a great hero. But I think the cool thing about, like any good hero, really, was that was not what he was necessarily trying to be. He was just trying to... I'm talking about the character as much as anything, but the character of Brett the Hitman Hart was just trying to be the best he could be. You know, he was honest and hard-working and, and actually not not all that um, full of bragging. Actually, the, the real-life Brett sometimes gets a bit criticised for being a bit too much of a fan of himself. But the character of Brett Hart, the Hitman, was actually quite giving in terms of you know talking about so you know talk about his opponent and say what a great wrestler he was or when he lost the belt he might go you know I wasn't the best man on the night and you know that was part of the character he was actually quite humble the hitman was quite humble um, and lots and lots and lots of other great wrestling stars including Hogan and The Rock and Austin and Flair and all sorts of others part of their um, image and part of their attraction is their self confidence and their braggadocio and that was spilled into other sports that into real sports quote unquote you know think about how boxers talk about themselves or how you know UFC fighters and even into things like darts and whatever now you see people talking about themselves really bigging themselves up Djokovic is is, is his own biggest fan in the tennis individual sports has really seen the rise of people you know bragging about themselves and actually the hitman was confident without being arrogant and and I think he, he, he was not portrayed as a hero his character was not a hero but his character's internal logic and will to win and honesty and and all his good qualities made him into one you know it's all that kind of thing of not trying to be the messiah do you know what i mean it's it, yeah. it's having those qualities now i might be over over sorry if that offends anyone i don't want to overstep the mark there but um you know i just think that brett i'm honestly talking from a position of bias because he's he's my guy but i just think he had all those things and and, and talking particularly about the wrestling you know, he did change. You know, the Hogan era was the Hogan era, and we'll talk about Hogan. And what comes later is really the Austin. There's a Hogan era and an Austin era, isn't there? That the start. The one ends in 1992, and the other one starts in 1997-8. And in between, I don't think there really is anyone's era. I don't think it belongs to Brett. I don't think Brett was a you know a huge enough star above all else, because I think that era does have Sean in it, and it has Diesel in it, and 
you know, there's other you know people that come and go. But Brett's the conduit, isn't he? He's the one that changed. He's the glue that holds it together. He's the yeah. glue that holds it together. He's the one that changed the style from what you expected under Hogan, and he's the one that handed it over to Austin, and he made Austin. Austin would have made himself eventually, but you know, there is no Stone Cold at the time that Stone Cold came along without Bret Hart. But I think as much as anything, it's from the from the first day that Bret Hart beat Mr. Perfect in 1991. Mm. Almost every match Bret ever had was it felt like he was trying to win and it felt like he was trying to be the best not necessarily settling old scores sometimes he would have a rivalry with like obviously with Owen or something but a lot of the Bret Hart rivalries tend to be about showing that they're better than the other guy not that they hated them but you yeah, know but and the, I love that that's great I isn't absolutely it? love that that is I especially when it comes to to titles I've always loved that and that's always been my philosophy on things is that you don't it's nice to have it, but you don't need to have a feud over the title. The title should be should sell itself. So the reason that someone wants to beat Bret Hart at the main, in the main event is because they want to become the champion, not because of some long convoluted storyline. Do you know? I can, I can think of two two examples from real sport. One is more personal to me, which is a. As a Plymouth Argyle fan, I'm supposed to hate Exeter City, and I don't know how you as an Ipswich Town fan feel about Norwich City, but I don't have that hatred for Exeter or for anyone else because of they happen to be the closest geographically. I just don't get it. Listen, I want to beat them more than any other team that we play during the season, but I don't hate them. I don't want them to get relegated. I'm not, I don't have that kind of hatred in my heart. I enjoy a rivalry more. Like for a few seasons, Argyle and Portsmouth were at a very similar level. Now, Portsmouth fans will tell you that we cared more about them than they did about us, which is probably true. But there was a real sort of point to prove between the two teams that felt like they were the two biggest teams in the division. And the games were always brilliant between the two teams. And the managers didn't like each other. And some of the players didn't like each other. And they really felt like this point. Every time you played Portsmouth, the atmosphere was good and the rivalry was strong. And I actually came out of it with a bit more... Um, respect for them than I went into it with I don't hate Portsmouth I sort of respect them as a football club they seem like a good bunch of people their fans were always great I quite like Portsmouth Football Club but I really wanted to beat them when we had that little rivalry going on You know, we were back in the same division now but I think they're clearly a bigger club than Argyle in, in a broader sporting sense I feel similar about England and Australia in the cricket you know there's not a single cricket team I want to beat more than Australia when England are playing them in the ashes but I quite like Australia, really. I've never been there, but most Australians I've met seem to be all right sort of people, and I quite like them. But God, I want to beat them when it comes to the uh, comes to the Ashes. And I think well, I think that can translate into wrestling really well. There's your Rock Austin. We'll come on to that in a wee bit. But you know, the, what was Rock Austin all about? Really, it was about being number one, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I'm not going to say anything about Norwich City because uh, otherwise, I'm either going to give you a really tough job editing this, or uh, this will be the last episode of this podcast before legal action from Delia Smith. But um, <laughs> I, I'm going to say something controversial now. I don't think Steve Austin needed to have the belt. I think he would have been just as big and just as popular without being champion. Especially with the McMahon feud, he could have just been the face of the company, trying to get one over on McMahon. Okay, I, I, I'd like you to elaborate because I've got a rebuttal for that. But I'd like you to elaborate a wee bit more. So, would you be in a position to say that you, you would you put would you, for example, I'll put you on the spot now, is Austin in the shout for the top five? I don't. In my book, I don't. I don't think so. Um, 
I I just feel he was he his character is like that that everyman character and and that's what people loved was he was the the everyman fighting against the the boss and you know every person who's who's had you know who's been in the world of employment will have had a boss that they couldn't stand at some point and they could you know position themselves in that um in that Austin role and position their boss in that McMahon role but you know if I if if I uh, pulled a fake gun on my boss uh, in the office, I'd be quickly whisked to HR rather than being having highlights of it shown on Raw. Um, but I I I think he was he was popular because of who he was, as opposed to being popular because he was the champion. That's uh... that's my my thinking. I mean, obviously, it didn't do him any harm to have that belt. Um, but I, I think he, he was, he would have been just as, just as, uh, as, as good without the belt. Whereas I think having the belt, especially as, as a heel kind of made, uh, made the rock and kind of cemented him. I think Austin had already, had already made it because what, what cemented Austin as a, a true bona fide superstar, um, was the was the Brett feud that where he said you know Brett gave him so much and the double turn and if this was just like you know top five WWE stars of the of the last thirty years or so then absolutely Austin would be there. I see where you're coming from, and it's a place that I might have gone myself, but I I actually think that the rating of Austin being a good nay, great champion is actually less in the actions of Stone Cold Steve Austin and as much in the actions of Vince McMahon because one of the reasons for that being such a fantastic feud and the, the hatred between the pair of them was Vince trying to stop him from being the champion he wasn't trying to stop Steve Austin because he just didn't like him he didn't... The, if you actually want to be a Mr. McMahon... I'm going totally kayfabe here. But if you wanted to be a Mr. McMahon apologist and say the reason that Mr. McMahon is doing all these evil things towards Austin is because he all he is, he cares about his company. And Steve Austin will ruin it. Because it all starts with... And when we did the Mr. McMahon thing two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we talked about this. So I can try and convince you, Mr. Ass, and we can do it mm-hmm. the easy way or we can do it the hard way <laughs> but the the point is is that Vince didn't want this uncouth beer drinking you know foul mouthed redneck as his champion representing his company and that is what he was the very fact that Vince didn't want it made the fans want it and actually Austin had to be fighting for the title do you know what the, the I'll tell you what I'll, the compromise I'll make with you is Austin might not have made the best champion but I tell you what, he made the best contender. Absolutely. No, I'd give, I'd give you that, totally. He was but the best me... contender. He was the yeah. best fighting for it, trying to get there. It was all about the fight. Steve Austin trying to get the belt is... <laughs> no one would have ever done this comparison before. It, it was Niles trying to get with Daphne in Frasier. The last two or three series of Frasier are no good after Daphne and Niles get together. You, you want that thing all the way along. To use a British one, it might be the two of them getting together and not going out. But in almost any sitcom, or, a, or even soap opera, where there's a bit of a will-they-won't-they they story, when's it ever been better after they got together? 
Do you know well, what I that, mean? That's yeah, that's that's why uh, um, Tim and Dawn get together in the very last episode yeah. of The Office. Perfect, yeah. great example. What yeah. a great example. Because yeah, because you don't need to see Tim and no. Dawn two and a half years in struggling to get pregnant and haven't got enough money on the down payment on the three-bedroom house they want. Boring. Yeah. It's much more yeah. fun watching Tim try to be the nice guy and get there and then she finally realises that her boyfriend's a twat. That's much more fun. And yeah. I would say with Austin, the one thing that pushes me towards that is do you remember the sit-down interview before WrestleMania 17 in the in the dressing room, JR, Rock and Austin, and they're talking to one another. It's very low-key. I think it's a brilliant piece of television. I love the way they're talking to one another about the match that's to come and, and whether they like one another or have respect for one another. And there is a bit where Austin goes, I need to beat you, Rock. I need to beat you more than you could possibly understand. And it's such a great line. And you think, oh, man, this guy really wants the title. And it's like he needs to be the champion. And then the next point is he needs it so much so that he's willing to do a deal with Austin, uh, with McMahon, to be that champion because he must see himself with that belt. And so I, I went into this thinking, no, I would fight you on this. And not, I didn't even know you were going to you know, be no on it. But I thought, as soon as you said no to Austin, I thought, no, he's, he's talking nonsense. But the more we talk about it, I'm thinking, yeah, Austin's the challenger. Austin's the guy chasing the belt. He's not the guy with it. There's no memorable Austin as champ moments. All the yeah, memorable because, Austin stuff is him trying to bring it down. Because, yeah, let me, let me just bring it back to something we were talking about earlier as well. What is the difference between Steve Austin be, oh, sorry, what's the difference between Vince McMahon not wanting Steve Austin to be champion because a beer swilling guy shouldn't be representing his company and Triple H not wanting Daniel Bryan to be champion because he's a B plus player well. and the most memorable thing that Daniel Bryan did was winning the belt at that Wrestlemania that's the thing that people remember, that pop mm-hmm which, to be fair, and I must say this, Triple H played his part perfectly. Yeah, absolutely, masterfully. And um, you know, it was it was by uh, it was almost by default because they they only made the decision to go that way once they realised they'd fucked up. But generally speaking, I agree, and I, I would say with similar, with that, similar let's you know let's bring Brian into the equation because some people might say that we've egregiously left him out of this chat when I was talking about champions over the last ten years. You know the, the funnest thing that Brian has done as champion was the whole, you know, vegan belt straw belt thing he had a couple oh, of years ago, yes, which fantastic. was amazingly fun. But the Daniel Bryan, you know, be- rise of the beard, yes, 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 um, thing a few years ago was all about the rise of the man. Was all about all, the, the most entertaining stuff he did was as a tag team with Kane and the matches mm. against the Shield and the Wyatt family, and then. It was all. Um, listen, if the booking had been different, we could have been talking about this differently. Because part of this is booking. It's not always about the individual. Sometimes yeah. it's about. Although how they I think, yeah, I think with Daniel Bryan as well, there's the issue of the concussion and the retirement. Because you know, had that not happened, he may very well have had a much, you know, a, a long reign or, or multiple reigns. Um, because yeah, he, the matches were absolutely tremendous. It was, it was just as you said, it was the the other the other parts of of, of the equation. But that, I think that's. Yeah, that I don't. I don't think he he did enough just through unfortunate circumstances. I don't think he did enough for us to consider him on our top five. Okay, we've made our point about Austin. I think I'm sort. I'm broadly with you. I think we will have enough good contenders that we won't need to push for him. Uh, let's do the Rock. 
Um, I am not necessarily going to push for The Rock either. Um, I think The Rock is a different contender to Steve Austin in terms of this. Not because it's a you know the, the great contender, number one contender. I don't mean it that way. I mean contender to get into our five. But all the great things that I think about The Rock, he's another one that I actually think that he's more in Undertaker category than anything else. Not because of the character, but because of the fact that he was so darn entertaining everything he did mm. and the way he got his all his reactions he he did he no he suited being the champion especially when he was a heel he carried it very yes. well but he didn't need to be that or again some of my favorite rock moments when i think about it, great moments from the rock over the years he wasn't necessarily the champ i don't think about him being the champ or not the champ do you know what i mean i just think about him being the rock and i think had the rock never been champion you know you you think of great Roddy Piper moments and you don't ever go oh it's a shame he wasn't champion so well the Piper was Piper and I think mm. of Rock being broadly similar to that although obviously he did have championship reigns I don't really think it defines the Rock I would agree I would agree I think yeah when he was he was a heel um and you know the corp the corporate stuff where where he was defending McMahon and and things like that 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 was that made him that made him a yeah, that that made the character because, as a heel, because of what the the purpose of what he was doing. But um, he would have been just as as big, um, without it. I I think yeah, had had he not had a Hollywood career, had he been still just a wrestler and he would have been around for another sort of ten years on top, then maybe maybe that things would be very different. I think then you know if he, there were long reigns that we we're talking about, that might be different kettle of fish but again we have to look at circumstances and the circumstances were that Rock didn't have that long a full time career on top because he went to Hollywood and good luck to him obviously he made a bloody fortune yeah and I would also say that I think that had a Rock been given a, an 18 month title reign um, you know booked in a similar way that maybe Brett was for a bit or like AJ Styles was we've just been talking about recently or, or others that have been long term champions uh, maybe like CM Punk was, you know. We haven't talked about CM Punk in this, um, but you know, would um, I? You know, the Rock. I think the Rock might have been different. I think he had all the characteristics that he could have been a great champion, but I don't think they ever booked him in a great championship reign. And it was in the era where the title changed a lot, you know. So he wins it at Survivor Series, yes. and he loses it, you know, before the end of the year, and then he wins it back again at the Royal Rumble, and then he loses it again you know, during halftime heat and then he wins it back again and loses it or wins it loses it at WrestleMania and it's like bloody hell. It's like it's like it's, you can't you can't keep up with the whole uh, you know, shenanigans of that sort of era and it's like I don't know how many times he was champion, but it feels like it was hot very much hot potato. And then obviously yeah. the, the last time round with winning it from Punk and, you know, wrestling against Cena and whatever, that's a bit of a different kettle of fish. So I just I just don't think of any, you know, strong title reigns under the rock. That, that make me think yeah. that way of him, but I've just brought I've just brought up Punk. I, I honestly hadn't got him written down, and I realised that we absolutely should talk about him for the sheer fact that he held it for so long. But he had that long, you know, that long title reign where he felt like a bit of a fighting champion, and you started to associate the belt with him. Um, he probably does deserve a, a, a at the very least a, a passing regard, maybe even a little bit more. Uh, yeah, I think I think that that. When I think of punk and and the title, I think of um, 
it was one was it not one night stand what was money in the, the, bank. the show money in the bank thank you where you know in where the the stars aligned perfectly and you know his contract was legitimately up and and it was in his hometown and you know it, it was ironically I say one of those you know you couldn't script it and they just they you know it just happened to to work out like that and they took full advantage of it and I I still I still think yeah that that match with Cena is one of the greatest matches of of all time in the WWE because of the the atmosphere the the, the natural real life story to it the the difference in the you know the the philosophies and the looks and and everything of the two perfect exactly exactly what you want of contrasting characters however the problem for me is that the reign that he had yes it was long but for the most part the the title match was wasn't the main event he the title match was was secondary to other main events and and it it, it therefore diluted the title um yeah okay i can I, I, I see your point in that i can see your point in that i would i would to vouch for him a little bit i do think that the um the babyface run he had as the champ and then i liked the fact that they made what i will say is that sometimes someone is the champion and they just happen to be the champion they just happen to be having wrestling matches with other people while they're champion i always felt like he that long reign of his which was what did it go 400 and something days 434 days yeah, or something like that it, he lost it to the rock you know they built that all the way along as if to say this is something in particular and he's very proud of being champion and he's held it for a long time and it felt like an event every time he you know he defended it but then you could also argue he wasn't always on the top of the card it was still sometimes you know, def- you know he had to defer to Cena and you know, if Cena is still the man can you really talk about Punk as being the champ you know what I mean if there's yeah. someone that's uh, that's on the brand that's um, a little bit further ahead um Let's do a few people quite quickly, because I don't think they're necessarily going to be high up in the chat. But they're obviously such, um, you know, big stars that we, we we need to talk about them, because um, we've barely gone near him so far. What about Shawn Michaels? Um, it's a good shout. I mean, he had tr- some some tremendous matches. Um, you know, he could work with anyone if he. If he he wanted to, he could make people look a million dollars. Um, on the downside, the things I have, you know, the the, the unprofessional behaviour. I mean, I, I always think we, I, someone was talking recently about um, the match he had at SummerSlam '96 with Vader, where he throws a strop in the middle of the match. Um, or the two, uh, SummerSlam against Hogan, where he throws a strop because he's having to put Hogan over and ridiculously oversells things. Um, so, you know, as far as acting professionally, yeah, you, can you imagine someone like Ric Flair or Bret Hart acting like that? You couldn't. Or um, so there are there are downsides to to that. However, I, I, he, I'm really on the fence here because he was such a strong character as either a heel or a babyface and had tremendous matches. There was obviously a big gap in the middle with that injury, so I'm, I'm really on the fence. I have to say, sometimes I try and let instinct take over here and say, when I think of Shawn Michaels is the first thing I think about, champion. And I just don't think it is. And I think this is the time where you have to do a direct comparison and anyone that wants to you know, say that I'm 
um, you know, because I'm going to say this because I'm a Bret Hart fan, and you find you have at it. I would, all, I've, all, I've always said Bret Hart's my favourite wrestler of all time, but I do think it's a very fair argument to say that Shawn Michaels is the greatest wrestler of all time, in terms of his performance, in terms of his ability to do different things and stuff. I, I think they're one A and one B in terms of performers, and you'll take, you know, and I, I include everyone in that. I include Flair and I include various others. I think Bret and Shawn are above all of them, and I include Kurt Angle. I include the lot. Um, I absolutely love Sean in terms of his body of work um, but when I think of Bret Hart I think of champion when I think of Ric Flair I think of champion and others that will come to I don't think that was Sean I think of the performer I think of the heartbreak kid I think of DX I think of you know all sorts of things but I don't think champion it's not, not something that comes to me and listen he's been a good champion he's a very good intercontinental champion um, very good uh, and he's been an excellent, you know, WWE champion over the years at various different times. I think I would probably have him in the in the Brock Lesnar category that I said earlier on. Of, of very much a passing grade, but we're talking about yeah. the elite here, and, and I just don't think I have him on on high enough high enough level. Is that fair? I I wouldn't disagree. I wouldn't disagree. Like I said, I was I was uh, firmly on the fence. I, I'm decided. So um, so yeah, I'd I'd go with that. Okay, um, Randy Orton. I he's he's an absolutely solid solid wrestler. Yeah, you, you 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 can put him in the ring with anyone and not not worry. But he he's he he never grabs me, shall we say, with fills me with excitement. You know. Fair enough. Uh, Edge. Again, very. Very good wrestler, has you know, good exciting matches, great characterization, but um, I wouldn't I wouldn't put Edge up there with the likes of your flares and your hearts. And you know, and if if we're I think if we're excluding Shawn Michaels, then we're excluding Edge. Yeah, very much agreed. Um, one more from this sort of list, Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle. Excellent, excellent wrestler, one of the most naturally gifted wrestlers there's ever been. Um, do I think of him as a champion? Do I think I think of him as as part of a cast of characters rather than the leader of that that cast? I think it, there'd be more of a shout for him in in TNA than there would be in WWE. Maybe being a, a, a bigger fish in a smaller pond suited him better, but to to me. I would, uh, maybe it's just because he was, over, you know, he was he was in there with some big big characters and big big names at the time. But he he's not the guy. No, I, I would uh, I would tend to agree with that. Right. I want to move on to three more um, specific categories, as it were, uh, of champion. Again, we might we might run through these quite quickly unless there's one in particular that you want to bring up. Um, but I think it's very fair to, to acknowledge the um, the role of uh, of the females in this context. Uh, it's very easy for yep. us to um, play the uh, um, the very modern thing of uh, making it kind of half and half, or we we must include a, 
uh, a couple of women in the conversation. But I think it's also easy to say, oh, wrestling's a man's game, and push it to one side. I think we have to take the right view of this. I think we have to talk about some of the greater champions in women's wrestling. It's only right. Yep. It's not, I've, I've it's got not, a couple of names on my shortlist, it absolutely. Is, it is not tokenism. It's because it's the right thing to do. Um, but it is also, I think you need to acknowledge that over the last 50, 60 years of wrestling history, women have been taken serious for, what, five? And it's um, it's wrong, but it's a fact. And so sometimes it's quite hard in these lists. But I do have two or three people that I would suggest absolutely have the traits of great champions. Whether they make it to our five, I think they might be struggling, purely because of the way they've been treated, not through their own fault, but because of that's their position in history. Hopefully in ten years' time, we'll be able to have a different conversation. Um, but I'd certainly have a couple of names, but I'll be interested to see if you want to lead on. Yeah, I'll start. The, fir- the first one I want to mention is um, Trish Stratus. Okay. Uh, because where you said, yeah, that, that women's wrestling's only been taken seriously for, for five years or so, I, I would disagree with that. I think that, or, or at least, no, actually, I wouldn't, I'd say the seeds were planted a lot earlier than that. And I, I just remember... Um, I was in in that what was it 2000 I think it was and I was um, in Philadelphia and um, caught a Smackdown taping and one of the matches I think it was on um, whether it was Metal or Velocity or whatever they called the secondary show but yeah they recorded it before Smackdown and it was TNA Test and Albert with Trish Stratus as their manager S Valet whatever and you know it, it was obviously of its time you know when when we've when we've looked back over some 2000 WCW it is horrendously misogynistic it's embarrassing to watch it with 20 to 20 eyes but you know this was the time that this was the time that it was and you had this tag team based on you know TNA tits and arse ha 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 and you had Trish Stratus who was this fitness model from Canada that they'd picked up with with no um, wrestling experience who came out in a short skirt and long boots and and, and, and uh, a, a low cut top and a wonder bra and you know it was, it was just totally pushing her looks as opposed to anything else and then over the course of time she applied herself to learning the art and yes it is an art of professional wrestling trained with um Philip Finley was was put in charge of uh, of training the uh, the group of female wrestlers around at the time because you know and this was where the WWE tried to transition from women's wrestling being just titillation with with models who couldn't really put one foot in front of the other to actually having passable and then great wrestling matches and I think some of those matches between Trish Stratus and Lita at the end um, were, were absolutely tremendous and I think to see the, the journey that Trish Stratus made through deciding that she wanted to be a serious proper professional wrestler and seeing that over over the course of time was was, was tremendous um, and, and yeah, when I think of, of the women's champion from that era I think of Lita and I think of Trish Stratus but I think Trish's story pushes her above Lita in my eyes 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I would think that um, there was certainly, uh, certainly of that era, she's the one that's um, to me head and shoulders. I always, I always thought she was just simply better than Lita anyway. I mean, I just in terms of every single area of wrestling that you would want um, someone to be good at, I think Trish ticks the box. I think she's a better in-ring talent. I think she's a better talker, a better character. Um, attractiveness is its own thing, and it shouldn't really be applied when it comes to wrestling, but. Um, you, know, you could argue that she was more, you know, revered for that as well. I think she stands out massively. And again, I think when we're talking about champions and we're talking about that little bit extra, you feel like she was the one that was very much the lead horse in that division. Um, in terms of, you know, if you thought about women's wrestling of that era, you thought about Trish. You know, there's there's two ways of being a champion, not just having the belt around your shoulder, but you know, leading your people. Actually, we could argue that under, we're talking about Undertaker, the character, not making a great champion. But actually, Mark Calloway, the man, is probably an absolute, you know, diamond of one. Or, you know, outside of the ring, they were talking about being the old locker room leader, as they say. And Absolutely, you, like you said about about Brett, I think Taker would be in the same league with the uh, with the uh, the wrestlers at the bar. Without a shadow, it's just that the uh, the character of Undertaker plays a little bit differently. Um, yeah, I would I would agree. If, if we were doing you know women's in, in specific, I think Trish would be a shout. I think from a generation earlier, particularly in her WWF run, which is not necessarily you know her favourite, I don't think. But uh, the woman that was known as Alundra Blaze, or is more more well known in the in the industry mm-hmm. as, as Medusa, um, I think would deserve a, a nod as well. Um, particularly in that era where they tried to do something with um, women's wrestling and almost left it to her, you know, to say kind of who do you want and we will bring them in from Japan. You know, when she was wrestling, you know, Bull Nakano yeah, or Arja, Nakano, Arja Kong and and uh, Bertha um, Faye and whatever. It was, yeah. um, you know, you can say what you like about how committed they were to women's wrestling or how bad WWE was in 1995. But she absolutely felt like a champion um, to the extent where one of the most famous things that happened with her was putting a belt in a bin. But you're going yeah. to be the champion to do that in the first place. Yeah, I think the problem that, that she had was that the the reign she had in the WWE that as you said the whole division was built around her but it was it was like there there wasn't a division below her whereas to to a degree Trish Stratus and Lita had that and then someone else who I who I'll, I'll bring up in a moment also had that there it, it just seems that when you have a champion and all of a sudden a challenger comes in and it's like well who's this they haven't beaten anyone because there aren't any other women to beat it kind of devalues the the belt because there's no thriving division you know imagine if if you had um you know your tag team champions and there's only like two or three tag teams in in the whole on the whole roster it would it would mean very little true um god who were the other ones you were going to mention and you said there was a couple of others well, one one that's much more more modern, but I I think it's too it's maybe too early in her career to 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 put her on this list. But I would say Charlotte Flair. Yeah, I would say. Um, so. I think she has learned a huge amount from her father on how to present yourself and carry yourself as a champion. And when she comes out with her robe and she looks the part with a belt around her waist and that serious look on her face, she looks and presents herself like a star and has great matches to boot. Um, and the, the thing that she has got, which, which 
Tristratus and, and Medusa Alundra Blaze didn't have is there is a huge, a huge roster of talented wrestlers underneath. So if she is champion and she then defe- defends against Asuka, for example, it's not just oh, here's a challenger we've flown in from Japan called Asuka. It's here's Asuka who's beaten this wrestler, this wrestler, this wrestler, and this wrestler, and she's built herself up and risen up the rankings as such. So I think that's the huge advantage she's got. But if I think of the modern-day women's division, there are a few people I think of, Asuka, Bailey, um, Sasha Banks to a degree, but she's lost a lot of time for injury. But the, the one person who stands head and shoulders to me to, to tick all those boxes of champion is, is Charlotte Flair. I agree with you, and I think she absolutely needs to go into our next stage. Again, whether she makes the five or not, I don't know. But I think the qualities that we're looking for here, we're not necessarily saying that they're the greatest of anything, but we're saying that the, the qualities they hold as, as a champion, believably as a champion, sometimes you almost need to step out of the box and say, okay, if someone else that's not really a wrestling fan, or maybe someone that's a lapsed fan, someone that hasn't watched a, a, sing, a single wrestling match since two calls split up, um, but you know now you know comes and watches wrestling again, and they see Charlotte, do they take her seriously? You know, Absolutely. Listen, listen, I will admit something, and this is perhaps a little bit harsh of me, but I was someone that um, I liked TNA, and I got to work alongside them quite a lot. And I, on my very very old podcast now, on the one sided ring, I used to often criticise them, and I would occasionally get um, people saying to me, "Oh, you you don't like TNA? You've got a thing against TNA? You don't want them to succeed?" And I would say, "Look, it's the opposite, because you know I'm on first name terms with the owner of the company, and I." I can go and watch them whenever I want and you know I've got an open ticket and it's very very easy to get an interview I loved working with TNA because they were so welcoming but I was also honest at the same time and I wasn't going to be one of those ones that said everything they did was brilliant just so I could yeah. get an interview um, I loved TNA and I wanted them to succeed but when I you know started to not do so much wrestling journalism so it wasn't quite so important to me but I was still a viewer I tell you when they lost me they lost me with two champions that were quite close together Um they lost me when Chris Sabin was the champion and when Eric Young was the champion. I think Eric Young might be the champion again now. But, he is, yeah. Um, but I just watched it and went, oh God, this is a company that's had Samoa Joe and AJ Styles and Rob Van Dam and Jeff Hardy and, you know, all these great champions. And it's like, you can't give it to Chris Sabin. And it's like, I like Chris Sabin. I've met him. I've interviewed him. He's a nice bloke. And he's a great wrestler. And I thought as a tag team, I thought the machine guns were great. But, Chris Sabin doesn't have a personality. He's just a really <laughs> decent in-ring wrestler, but he's not got a personality. And he's, then, a, I, he's a lovely, lovely bloke. He's a nice he's chap. One ni- he's one problem. of the nicest people I've ever, I've ever had the pleasure of working with. But, really nice but chap. I know but he's not, you, got, I know he's, but he's mean, not yeah. got a personality, and yeah. he doesn't make you want to root for him or hate him. And then Eric Young, who's a comedy wrestler, is given the belt as well, and it's like TNA just lost me. And this is a legitimate thing of I, as a fan, stopped watching their show because of a combination of they made two people champion that I just didn't think were a champion and there's there's an issue there and now sometimes it's the ignorance of the person maybe that's my fault for not adapting with it I also know people that weren't watching wrestling about ten years ago and went huh I'm not going to come back to watching wrestling now Mark Henry's the champion (laughs) imagine making Mark Henry the champion and it was like if you were watching wrestling right now you'd know Mark Henry's been outstanding for the last year and that's why they made him champion 
Yes, Mark Henry and the how the the um, Hall of Pain was tremendous. Someone else, someone actually, you, you've made me think of there um, that I think was great in in TNL and Impact as the champion was um, Austin Aries, and I am biased because this came at a time when. Um, do you remember he he held I think four different title belts and one of which was the the IPW title which I I commentated for when they were around and he basically came out on on Impact and all the on the TV with all four belts on him. I do remember that. And and he again he carried himself and he presented himself as as champion and then when he lost the IPW belt to Mark Haskins the place erupted because it meant something and, and I can only I can only speak because I find you know I know like people have said they've had there are people who say they've had you know problems or issues with Austin Aries I work with him on a, an evening with and I work with him on IPW and never had never had a problem with the guy and he was always absolutely total total pro but the way he carried I wouldn't say he's on this on this list as such but the way he carried himself was absolutely how you want a, a champion to be. He absolutely got it. Um, he, he was very, was, he was a very fine cruiserweight champion, or yeah, light, light yeah. heavyweight champion, or whatever WWE it, were calling it at the time, or two hundred five, yeah. two hundred five champion. Or yeah, it was um, yeah cruiserweight. I think yeah. there's one massive name that we haven't mentioned that is is staring at me as this huge abyss. Um, not not abyss. Um, which is is Hulk Hogan. Well, hang on, hang on. We'll, we'll 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 get to that. I just I want to I want to cover a couple of these sort of areas first oh. before we get into a couple of the, the more obvious names. Just to just to round off the the women, I think I've only really got one other name to mention, and it's not a uh, it's not a one for this topic, but it's one for I think they should be in the future. If you ever want someone that's got all the qualities to be a champion, to be a long-standing champion, and then to have that moment when they get beaten. Just give the women's title to Shayna Baszler and let her be champion for 500 days. It would be the greatest thing. She's got everything. She just looks absolutely like a killer. She would be that brilliant defender title. Win, win, win. Just about hang on. Just about hang on. And then have someone beat her. And it would mean everything. Um, but obviously that's not for this chat. chat. Um, Female Brock Lesnar, basically. Uh, it's, but, a similar, uh, it's a similar booking pattern. She'd be brilliant. And she'd be better at it than Ronda Rousey. Um, yes. and that's not a knock on Rousey who I think did really well but Shayna is amazing um, and I think Asuka also has been a, has been a brilliant champion in, in the modern era um, but I, I support your I support your. if we were to put any of them forward I think Charlotte really um, is head and shoulders uh, above um, I want to also quickly jump back in time a little bit um, we did say we weren't necessarily going to excuse me necessarily going to look at too many from an era just an era just before ours but I think we ought to, if we, even if we don't put them forward, just ought to acknowledge a few names. Um, one, everyone thinks of him being the, you know, the crown prince or indeed the crown king uh -huh, on, uh, on the WWF television as a commentator. But Jerry Lawler has been a great champion, um, particularly in Benf Memphis, you know, in one territory for 30, 40 years. You know, there's absolutely no one outside of, you know, so no one inside of Tennessee that would entertain anyone other than Jerry Lawler as being the, uh, the king of this chap. Yeah, I mean, Lawler, Lawler is in, a, in a, a similar position in some ways to what we talked about with the Lundra Blaze, but it was it was positioned or it was booked differently in that Jerry Lawler would be the perennial champion and, generally speaking, the babyface, and 
territorial wrestling being what it was at that time, you'd have you know people travelling around, so they'd stay a couple of months in one promotion, then move on to another promotion, then move on to another promotion, and so they would bring in these these various uh, heels, various opponents for him, and they would build them up in Memphis over a period of a couple of months, beating everyone and looking invincible, and then getting to the title match with Lawler which sometimes they won, sometimes they lost, but even if Lula lost, he'd eventually regain the title, so he was champion ready for pressing the reset button and having somebody else doing that, doing that, that challenger role. Um, so, whereas, um, whereas in, in some territories, and, you know, Flair's a, the great example of this, of being a, a heel champion that the faces are, are chasing, in, in this instance, Lawler was a great example of a face champion being challenged by a, a range of of, uh, of heels wanting to strip him of that belt. Of a similar sort of era, uh, and I go off almost just one particular promo that I've seen, but also the listening to other people tell a, a similar story, is um, there is one inter- it's not even an interview it's just a man talking to a, a camera um, probably from the uh, early 1980s uh, and it is Harley Race dressed in a suit holding the familiar NWA World Championship and just talking to the camera and explaining who he is in that raspy voice of his that I can't do you know, but saying I am Harley Race and this championship means that I am the greatest wrestler in the world and it's a, every word he says you go oh I believe him I believe this man I think he's a tough man wearing a suit who is you know a gentleman but also an assassin you know and could you know could take anyone in the world right now if he wanted to you mentioned it a little bit earlier on about being the, the legit tough guy if he was traveling from town to town although yeah. right enough they did screw Harley didn't they actually of all people that they did screw out of the belt and they, they did screw Harley one night um I forget who it was that they, they had beaten but um uh you know Harley race just is someone that to me screams champion screams leader captain you know, whatever it is that uh, you might associate. I, I feel hesitant to put him forward for the list purely because I'm not familiar enough with his work. But everything no, I, I have yeah. seen, he screams it to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same. My, my memories of Harley Race are mainly from, from the WWF where he wasn't portrayed in the best light. No. Um, what I'd say as well is you can tell that um, the current NWA world champion, Nick Aldis, idolizes Harley Race and, and, and spent time training with him and you can tell that from the way that Nick presents himself as the NWA world champion he has taken that and uh, directly from Harley Race and that is meant no way as an insult that is you know that he, he can see that that works and why that works and he's taken that for himself and is doing it very well unfortunately you know, if the if the the NWA world title was was held in the same regards it was then Nowadays, then you know we we may be putting him on that list, but obviously the the, the title's stock has has fallen. I think one one thing also you're talking about um, other champions, not just the, the top champions, but the secondary champions. You know, we mentioned like Dustin Rhodes being a great example, and there are, there's one guy um, in particular to me that really shines out, and that's Rick Rude. Okay, um, because you again this is something that, that that may not immediately spring to mind but 
as a uh, when when you're you, you've got a promote you're looking at a promotion as as a whole what really you want to have if you've got two champions if you've got the main the, the, the world champion the secondary champ you want them to be contrasting so for example Rick Rude was WCW United States champion as the arrogant heel when Sting was the world champion because they contrasted Rick Rude was also the intercontinental champion in the WWF when Hulk Hogan was the world champion those two characters are directly contrasting if you had Rick Rude as the arrogant womanizing heel as your uh, United States champion and Ric Flair as your arrogant womanizing heel as your world champion that wouldn't work because it would feel too samey so if you've got a um, if you've got a, a, a you know pure white uh, I, I'm sorry but by, by when I say pure white I mean as in pure as a driven snow nothing stupid. sorry I, I, just know, I know what you mean Tom, uh, don't worry you know what I mean yeah. yes um, but if you've if you've got you know the, the, the pure clean baby face who the heels are chasing you then want to have the very much unpure very much dirty maligned heel secondary champ for the baby faces to chase because the baby faces so you know in, in let's take Hogan and Rude for example the baby faces aren't going to be chasing Hogan because they're baby faces and so is he so they need a good solid secondary champion to chase while the heels aren't chasing Rick Rude because they're both heels they then chase Hulk Hogan so you want that that contrast and I think Rick Rude provided that great contrast and also was you, you always got a great match with Rick Rude tremendous character tremendous promo believable tough legit tough guy could talk um, and present himself outside of the wrestling realm um, and yeah to me was just absolutely tremendous you know there, he, he was never out of work um, well famously he was, he was technically he was in work in two places at once in the Monday Night War era three um, yeah very true um because yeah, ECW, of course, yeah. Um, you know, he he is someone who I think was a great, great secondary champion, and obviously then became a, a, a challenger to Ultimate Warrior when he became champ. But yeah, Rick Rude would be a, on that list for me. It's, I mean, it's such a good shout, and not just about Rick Rude, but in terms of the the point you made, which I've never really thought about before, the contrast of the the two Bane champions it's a, it's a, it's a, you need to have it yeah you need to have it for you just for the for the that it's the holistic approach you got to you know you got to look at the whole of the whole of the show and and also how you then push your different um how you then push your different halves of your roster your baby facing your, your heel half such a good point really really good point um hat tip for that um yeah, tremendous. Um, Rick Rude's an interesting one. I often think that I've only sort of pieced together Rick Rude's career later on down the line. But I remember just as I was getting into wrestling, he was disappearing from the WWF. But I remembered him as being the uh, airbrushed trousers, mm-hmm. airbrushed, wrestling, air, airbrushed wrestling gear, you know, quite a skinny guy, ludicrous bouffant haircut, moustache, 
you know, ugly but thought he was attractive, you know, washboard abs. Yeah, that, that sort of gimmick. But you know, no serious threat, and no sort of wrestler, and just so this ridiculous gimmick. I'm talking about as a, how I viewed him as a kid. Yeah. And then he came back as the DX bodyguard problem solver. And I was like, that can't be Rick Rude. Rick Rude was a bloody, he was a waste of time. Rick Rude's not a tough guy. And it was like, actually, if you went and watched his WCW run in between. Which was tremendous. Which was absolutely, absolutely tremendous. Absolutely the best work of his career by miles. Um, it does make sense. And you see that transition from him going from that, um, what I want for everybody right now, you know, all, all that kind of business. Yeah. He's still doing that. But the one, there was one massive difference there. He cut his hair, and it was like the minute he cut his hair, he looked tougher. It was like, <laughs> yeah. So, there's been this thing for years with wrestlers having. You long took him hair. more seriously, I think. There's been this thing for wrestlers for. I've never ever understood it. This is a brief sidebar. I'm going to try not to go too far down it, and I'm absolutely not making any stereotypes here, folks. I'm talking about a general opinion. Is that if you were talking about the bloke in your local pub that you thought was the local hard man? it's not the pub you were drinking obviously if they had a nutcase like that drinking in it but if it was someone that was in your local area you would very much think about them having a crew cut you know bald head yeah. you know wouldn't you like bore buzz cut whatever you wouldn't think of them as having long hair and like, all, the, all the sort of tough men in history apart from Samson it's like, it's like you, just, I don't, you don't think of long hair as being tough but in wrestling it's been a thing for, for decades, isn't it? That you have, and even still now, you have people like McIntyre and whatever got big long hair, and it's like, it's such a. It, do you know that in in real life? Are there hell's angels and stuff with long no, hair? But, it's like, no, but there is a very good reason why. I remember Brian Clark telling me this when we asked him. There's a very good reason why wrestlers have like to have long hair. Go on. If you are wanting to call the spot to someone and you put them in a headlock or a chinlock or something and put your head down your head then your hair then covers your mouth <laughs> covers your face. Yeah. you can talk to them that no one can see because your hair's in the way then well, once you've called the spot you put your head back up you flick your hair back you get back up to a vertical position and carry on with the match and that is why a lot of wrestlers have long hair fair enough I will work on that I, speaking of someone that has not had my hair cut since the end of January <laughs> um, I will work on that particular uh, that particular thing but yeah rude unbelievable once he changed his hair once he had his hair cut looks a completely different man yeah. um, I want to mention great, one other person thing, sorry just going to say the, the, the great thing with, with rude is you know, when you think of that WCW run the two big Big feuds he had were with Sting and with Ricky Steamboat, yeah. both of whom pure wholesome baby faces. Especially yeah. Yeah, Rick Steamboat, the family man, complete polar opposite of Rick Rude's character. And when you think of some of the, the great feuds, think of like you know Flair v Dusty Rhodes and the hard time you know, Dusty Rhodes with the hard times promo Ric Flair with the Rolex watches and the, oh, yeah. the expensive contrast. suits contrast and that yeah Austin and McMahon yeah. contrast and that is what that is what people love when you are when you're putting feuds together um, you want to think of the people obviously they've got a work together well in the ring but the first, you know, if you've got two completely opposite characters that will get the crowd invested in, in them to start with then when you've got people who are tremendous workers like Flair and Dusty or Rude and Sting or Rude and Steamboat you you, you got it made yeah, it goes on Brett and Sean 
Yeah, Brett and Sean, what a brilliant example. Yeah, Yeah, totally. The the Stooges and the Mean Street Posse. (laughs) I mean, even, you know, Punk punk and... um, Punk and Cena, Punk and Jeff Hardy, things like that. Yeah, there's, there's uh, lots and lots of good examples. Um, I want to go back to one other that you, you, I'm, I'm pleased you mentioned Nick Aldis actually, because Nick is um, certainly someone that would be. He has all the traits. Um, at the moment, he is the top goal scorer in League One, um, as opposed to being, you know, a decent goal scorer in the Premier League. Um, it's I won't say it's easy to do what he's doing. Absolutely, it, it isn't. And he is doing everything right, but he is he's, he is as yet unproven um, at a higher level. I absolutely insist that I think he would be a perfect acquisition for AEW because yeah. I think he would be an unbelievable heel champ. Because and I, and I would I would not only would I would I move him to AEW, I'd give him the belt within three months because I just think it's that he's the kind of champ that that their audience wouldn't really take to in, in a good way. Because they seem to, yeah. to me, AEW is sim- similar to NXT is a little bit like as soon as anyone's got any talent, they just cheer for them, and it's hard to be a heel. Whereas Nick knows how to be a heel, and I'm not saying he hasn't got any talent. My goodness, no, he's got great talent. But he's 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 a wrestler. He's a talker rather than a wrestler. Although he's a good wrestler, um, he is all about character and all about poise, and just he would talk people into despising him. And then whoever yes. they, whoever they wanted to be their next big star, and I don't mean a recycled one, so I don't mean Jericho, and I don't mean Ambrose, and I don't mean, you know, so let's say that they decided that their face of the company was going to be Page, for example, Adam Page, you know, or, or whomever it was going to be, I think, you know, to to win the title after it being with Nick for a year, you know, would be a, be a big way to make a big star in AEW, um, so I think Nick goes into that potential category, he has all the qualities, but I think you've got to prove it to get anywhere near this list, but you mentioned the people that he's influenced by, and you mentioned... Um, uh, who did you who did you mention? You Harley mentioned Harley Race, Harley Race. And if you speak to Nick, he will tell you that his favourite wrestler of all time is Bret Hart, um, as, he, as he did on our uh, SummerSlam show. Um, and I would say there's one other person that I think Nick is like a modern version of, and it goes a long way back. And again, perhaps we're in in the territory of do we know enough about them, you know, to to claim them. But I probably would have him on my five, although I wouldn't really have an issue if uh, if you talk me around with it. Is I think one of the greatest ever uh, facsimiles of a champion. You know, that is to say, to see them, to look at them up and down, to see them with a belt, to hear the way they talk, and just decide, yep, I believe you as a champion. Is Nick Botwinkle? Everything I've ever seen about Nick Botwinkle. I, I've I've watched old AWA stuff. He's a really really good wrestler. But I think if you you take Nick Botwinkle. And without him, there is no, uh, there's no Triple H of the early 2000s. There's no Jericho coming back and being the honest man with the suit. Uh, there's no Nick Aldis. Um, there's no uh, The Miz. Uh, Nick Botwinkle is the absolute forerunner of all of those heels that you dislike them, not because they're horrible and not because they're cheats, and not because they're different to you, but because they they are they are better than you, and they know yes. they're better than you, they're and superior. they tell you that they're better than you, and you hate them for it. 
again to use a sporting version of that you know how many times are there people that are maybe it's Manchester United as a football team or maybe it's I don't know I don't know who, who people dislike as a maybe like a Lewis Hamilton or someone I don't, I don't really know but someone people that dom- love or hate Ronnie O'Sullivan but no one's indifferent to him right. you know, one and, Andy Murray absolute maybe. Talent. but people yeah. that are on the top of their game and people dislike them you go why do you dislike them you go I don't know I just do I dislike them because mm. they're successful and you think yeah. that's a stupid reason for disliking someone but sometimes you can see why and in wrestling when you can amplify characteristics and you can make that person you know you know you could almost say without Nick Bock not Nick Bockwinkle there's no Jose Mourinho that's not an exact you know lineage but there's that sort of thing that you can see why people wouldn't like Jose or in another era wouldn't like yeah. Brian Clough yeah, I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen an awful lot of Nick Bogwinkle, and I don't think I've had enough to to really make a judgment. But what I would say is, what I have seen of him, he doesn't look like a wrestler. He doesn't talk or sound or come across like a wrestler, and that's that's the the draw of him, I suppose. And also, I guess that's when you're saying about, you know, a heel champ looking vulnerable and just squeaking by, you know, often he had Bobby Heenan with him, who he, you know, he didn't, he, he didn't need Bobby Heenan because he could talk so well himself yet having Heenan with him, it, it just enhanced him a bit like, I suppose, CM Punk with, with Paul Heyman. Yeah. Um, but it, it also gave him, like you like you've said about the, the heel champ squeaking by by the skin of his teeth it gave him an out it gave him an out and a way of, of cheating and, and, and getting past the 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 rules but absolutely you know presenting yourself as a champion as a serious wrestler as someone who's made who's made money um he he looked the part, but I, I I don't know enough about him because he's before my time to to really pass comment on him. And I think similarly another person from from days gone by is Bruno Sammartino. Well, yeah, um, I mean without a doubt. Yeah, the the stats about Madison Square Garden speak for speak for themselves. And yeah, he was there at a time when um, New York has a high Italian immigrant population he was the hero of the of that sort of first generation of Italian immigrants who'd come over post World War Two to America um, and you know at that time wrestling was very much based on on racial stereotypes and racial tensions and I, I know it's not nice to hear now but that was that was how it was back then and you had you know the Nazi German heels and the Japanese heels and 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 uh, and the and commies, Bruno, the commies. And the, of course the bald-headed Russians you know Ivan the, the famously at Madison Square Garden fell silent when um, Ivan Koloff came off the top rope with a knee drop and pinned Bruno for the title um, but yeah, he he was just such such a massive draw to his lo- that local community because WWWF as it was then was a local promotion, um, and he was exactly what we've said about yeah you know, the likes of your Cena's and your Bretts that he was you know he was a a, a pure good guy. Um, you never heard any bad things said about him. He was a, a great ambassador. I think also sometimes I mean, there would have been people that grew up in that era that just through the sheer longevity of Bruno as being the champion just associate Bruno with being the champion even if he was a terrible champion I'm not saying he was but even if he had been 
the very fact that he would be champ for that long, seven years or whatever, Ooh. just makes you... So I always think that when I was a kid, and I'm talking five or six years old here, there was, of course, every sport, I could probably name someone who I thought was the, the top bollocks, and that I could never understand how they ever got beaten, because Ooh. I believed in them, because that's what I'd been told to. So in football, it was Liverpool. In rugby league, it was Wigan. Um, in darts, it was Eric Bristow, Nick Faldo at golf. Steve Davis at snooker, you know, like you couldn't ever believe that they could ever lose because they were the yeah. best at what they did. They were the they were the top, and it was like, you know, it might have only been for a short period of time in your young mind, but you were educated. But Steve Davis is the greatest snooker player on earth. So if he didn't win it, and like Joe Johnson did, you go, well, the bang on, no, Steve, what do you mean Steve Davis isn't winning? And then when yeah. they start getting pushed off by the new guy, when Phil Taylor comes around or Jockey Wilson, and when uh, Stephen Hendry comes around and, and Nigel Mansell was another one I would always say Nigel Mansell would have been the guy at the motor racing and then Michael Schumacher comes around or whatever it is like, you almost can't accept the new guy because you have someone so much and you know I think there would have been people that just well Bruno's the champion that's what Bruno does and mm. I think sometimes longevity absolutely counts on this because oh totally um, totally that, that to me if, the, if, if there's one thing if I could boil down what without wishing to sound like the old guy sitting by the picket fence if, if I could boil one thing that's wrong or, or is, is worse about modern day wrestling compared to the wrestling I grew up on it wouldn't be about all the moves that they do and this and that because wrestling in the ring evolves over time it's it's the the time given to things everything moves so quickly champions don't get long enough to establish themselves with belts feuds don't last tag teams don't last and and yeah absolutely that that title reign that those two or two title reigns across seven years is 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 massive okay then i have someone i have someone that had a long title reign in a relatively modern era uh, another one that without nick botwinkle um, they wouldn't have existed um, but I think they are one of the greatest champions of the modern era, or indeed any era. I give you John Bradshaw Layfield. Now, last week we finished on the uh, the tag team breakup last week of the APA, winning the poll um, between them breaking up. Literally the next week, uh, Bradshaw was gone and JBL came in his place, and you can argue the merits on what he's like as an individual behind the scenes, you can argue about what his political views are and what he's like as a commentator blah 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 but from the first day that you ever saw that limo with the longhorns on the top to when he retired, JBL was a champion yeah he was a large, larger than life character but still portrayed as a real person um, he kind of it was almost like bridging that gap between a Bret Hart and a Hulk Hogan um, and yeah what you know tremendous entrance that grabs your attention um, and as I say larger than life you you don't want to see as you know as Andre Baker always said to me you don't want, if you wanted to watch your next door neighbor have a fight you'd go to the pub you want to see something watching the wrestling that you wouldn't see anywhere else and you wouldn't see that um great few matches with Eddie Guerrero but then again who who doesn't have a great or didn't have a great match with Eddie Guerrero um I think he was he was hurt by a, a week ish a weakish group of, of around him you know it wasn't the strongest roster at the time 
Um, but you know, he had he had decent matches. I loved the clothesline from Hell. It, it looked tremendous. Um, I I just I don't think he had. Uh, yeah, you know, we talked about longevity. I mean, he did hold the belt for a little while, uh, for I guess a long while in the modern era, but. Um, overall, I think he kind of came and went as a character a bit too, a bit too quickly for, for me to to put him right up there. Okay, fair enough. I, I actually, I did, I disagree. I disagree. I think he was. Um, uh, I think it is strong enough of, in in itself, and I think he's the kind of almost at the opposite to the Undertaker in the sense that we're talking about Taker was always going to make it, you know, come what may because the Taker character was so strong and didn't need a belt where. John Bradshaw Layfield kind of had to dominate and had to be the nasty heel champion and Definitely. clinging on for dear life, even though he was, you know, he was getting away with it. But everything about that character screamed a champion and screamed, you know, a wrestling heel champion as well to, to draw money. And I think um, I very specifically mean JBL as opposed to Bradshaw. Um, yes. And that perhaps uh, detracts perhaps the fact that it's only some of his career and not all. But uh, it's not a problem. It's not a problem that uh, you, you don't um, push for it the same way as me. But um, I certainly would uh, would think of it as being, uh, you know, very, very highly up there. Um, before I go, I've got two more names that I want us to cover that are important names to cover. Before I do, uh, a little quick whiz around other places. I, again, I don't want to um, dismiss too many things as if they're not important. But we're we're already well into this podcast, and we need to be thinking about wrapping up and coming up with the five. But yep. we haven't talked about too many other places. Um, I want to acknowledge um, Rob Van Dam as the ECW television champion uh, who made that belt completely um, oh yeah he, he held that for over a year didn't he and that is an absolute example of the man making the belt um, and not the other way around but that was a huge thing in ECW it is effectively a regional promotion in, in history we'll judge it that way uh, but he did an unbelievable job with that I would give a little bit of a, a hat tip to Dean Malenko as the Cruiserweight champion when that was getting established in the early years of Nitro. Um, he was absolutely the glue of that um, particular uh, division. And I would also say um, Samoa Joe's time as Ring of Honor champion mm. um, is hugely important in their history. I would say Samoa Joe's the greatest ever Ring of Honor champion. Uh, and in a, in, a, in, a com- in a company that was based upon wrestling and almost nothing else, um, to be a good wrestler that was the champion and had great wrestling matches on top with all sorts of people that have gone on to be great names in wrestling, whether that's in North America uh, or people like Kenta Kabashi um, you have to admire what, what Joe was able to do there and you know that if he was ever given that opportunity again he's probably you know the wrong side of 35 now to be you know investing in too long term but if they did say sod it, we're going to make Joe our man for the next two years he could do it um, even though he's probably not as sprightly as he once was um, there are a few examples that just leap at me uh, as being uh, good examples of long term champions that are not necessarily in the kind of belts we've been talking about um, with those in mind and with any company in mind are there any other um, people that we've not mentioned outside of WWF champions essentially? yes there are there are two contemporary wrestlers and I think you you have to talk about them together because they kind of inter interweave so much. Um, but that is uh, in New Japan, Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada. 
Um, both, I mean, they they have been around as on top for for a lot longer than um than people realise. I think. I mean, I'm just getting my Wikipedia up here to get my facts straight. But um, I mean, Ta- Tanahashi's first championship reign was actually in 2006, and um, Okada's first reign was in 2012. And they've had between the two of them, they've had 13 reigns and nine years nearly as champion about eight or nine years together 1,790 days for Okada 1,396 days for Tanahashi um, long long title reigns of you know two years plus and some of the most tremendous match the great match quality that, that is that has become associated with New Japan and it's no coincidence that they have been like the, the Austin and the Rock of New Japan in the time that the that company has made great strides in going from just a, a Japanese promotion to being a bona fide worldwide promotion. You just need to look at um, the, the number of foreign fans who travelled to Japan for the last couple of Wrestle Kingdoms, um, the fact that you know, we've held successful and well-attended Wrestle Kingdom viewing parties with Hooked on Wrestling in London, where it's basically been people getting up at about 7 o'clock in the morning to, to go and watch wrestling. Um, and that, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's what New Japan has become off the back of those two. Very fair. I mean, uh, Okada has held the title for longer than anyone else in its history. Uh, yep. I know because I asked that question in the uh, Hooked on Quiz a couple of Sundays ago, or something something related to it anyway. Uh, and Tanahashi has held it the most times. You know, that's the two, whichever way you judge it, you know, whether it's the longest time as champion or the most individual reigns, those are the two, and they're head and shoulders above anyone else. Um, certainly modern wise, you know, they, you might have your, your Fujinamis or. Um, or whoever you know a little while back. I mean, in, to, if if you're if you're talking like historically, I think Inoki is the man just because of what he did and how he brought that that company to prominence, not just in Japan but sort of around the surrounding countries as well. Well, he's he's kind of I mean that's his company, but his his title reigns are, are pre the IWGP title anyway, aren't they? They're. Uh, um, you know, it, well, I, I, don't, I wouldn't couldn't tell you exactly what the, uh, the 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 champion championship was called, but the IWGP only goes back a certain distance, doesn't it? It only goes back to about, yeah, I think eighty nine something some, like that. Something like that, and, and you know, and the New Japan's been around a lot longer, of course, but uh, I, I don't I don't know exactly what Inoki's um, uh, titles would have been. I suppose there's a, quite a few of those, isn't there? There's, I'm not knocking Inoki, but there's quite a few of you know people with their own companies. You touched them on earlier on, but you know we could do a lot of those, couldn't we? You, your Fritz von Erichs or your um, yeah, uh, Vern Gagne or a few others. But yes. You almost feel like, you almost feel that you can't really include the ones that have given themselves the belts. Oh, yeah. D- and I Dusty think, in Florida. Yeah, I, I think one other name that I, I don't think he's going to make make the the cut um, just because he didn't have enough of a, a longevity as champ. But one that was a, a, an absolute personal favourite of mine was Big Van Vader when he was the champion in WCW in sort of 92, 93, 94 time um, because you could you could show a non-wrestling fan a Big Van Vader match and the first thing they'd think is look at that fat bastard then they'd see him <laughs> wrestling and it'd be oh my god you know the guy's 
not I, I, you know, doing not just doing a moonsault, but you know, he's the the agility with which he could move across that ring, the brutality of the offense that he put together, the, the believability he gave. Um, and one thing that always sticks in my mind is one thing when I go to to live or when I when I was a, a fan go, going to live American wrestling shows what I always loved to do and I, I still like to do it if, if there are people that fit into this category now I love to look at the faces of the non-wrestling fans who are working there the security stewards the, uh, these days in, 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 we, we often have a paramedic sitting beside our commentary table I love looking at their face and their expression because it is a, a lay person as such someone from outside having a sneak view into this business that we love and when uh, I remember at the Albert Hall the main event of Vader v Davy Boy Smith and it was almost like the, 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 the security guy had been sort of smirking a bit of oh look at these silly wrestlers and then Vader came out looking angry as hell flipping over an antique Royal Albert Hall table and breaking it and probably getting a hefty bill for it and the, the look on the on the security guy's face is oh shit this bloke's a bit a bit tasty isn't he and it always stuck in my mind so I I, I I would imagine he wouldn't make our, our top five, but he was always, always a, a personal favourite of mine for those reasons. Fair. You know, I mean, I, th- I think Vader is one of those endlessly interesting characters to talk about because of the variety of things he did in his career, the different mm. places he worked, how respected he is, and yet you still feel like he barely scratched the surface. You feel like he should have been so much bigger than he actually was. You know, in terms of both a, a talent in terms of how well known he was, how rich he could have been. Do you know what I mean? It's like just the, you would you feel like a. I feel like he was not ever well promoted enough wherever he was. Perhaps Japan is the, the, the example of him being used in, in, to a, a better degree. But you just look at in the early stuff in WCW. He's just he looks tremendous. But they didn't really keep him relevant for long enough. And then when he goes to WWF, you know, again he starts off like a house on fire, but it's. They soon made him look like one of the other guys, and and perhaps yeah. some of that was just down to him. You know, you hear things about him being not the brightest or whatever. And that's a sad thing to say about someone that's no longer with us. But you know, I, I, you know, it's hard to tell. But the the reason that Vader is not one of the greatest stars of all time is a is a is a bit of a head scratcher because he really did have everything. Yeah, I mean, in in Japan, the thing there is, you know, Japanese wrestling fans have have very good memories. They never forget something once it's happened. And Vader was introduced. The, I mean, the the boldest booking decision you could think of. But Vader was introduced um, as a mystery opponent for um, Antonio Inoki, who was, as you say, the promoter, but was also you know the champion and the top star at the time. And he beat Antonio Inoki clean in three minutes <laughs> and and caused a riot. Um, and I think New Japan, whatever the venue was, New Japan were banned from running there for a good time because there was a legitimate riot because people could not believe what they had just seen and that made Vader's career in Japan he was set for life in that country after that yeah and we yeah, quite rightly so talk about perfect booking off the uh, from the very start we did talk about a little bit of that earlier on um, in the absence of any other ones that we want to bring up I'm sure the second we finish recording this we're going to go ah we should have mentioned so and so but uh, I've got two left 
I don't know how many yep. you've got on, on a list that you've got, but I've got two I've left. got one that is probably the same as one of yours. Okay, well, I'll, <laughs> leave, I'll leave that one till last, because I know you've already mentioned it. Uh, the other one I'm going to mention is someone I know you're not particularly a fan of, um, but I will push strongly for him being, at the very least, in contention, because I would say that part... I mean, listen, part of being a champion that you talked about with Flair is getting people to hate you as much as getting to people to love you. And while the last one we're going to talk about is surely the greatest superhero-style wrestling champion of all time, um, I would say very few people, certainly between the years of around about 2000 and 2010, which may be considered a somewhat fallow period in wrestling, but I would say no one, but no one, was a better champion in that era than Triple H. I see where you're coming from, and and yes, you, there's obviously a, a massive flair influence there that he you know he learned how to carry himself as a heel champion from flair, but in a, in his own way, he wasn't just copying flair. He he um he, he did his own style and made it his own to his credit. Um, there's quite a lot of Harley, and I'd say there's more Harley in there than there is Flair, actually. Not not, not just the handlebar moustache, but the, the, I think there's a bit not more. Not just the moustache, yeah. yeah. Well, it, it, yeah, he's, he's, he's a, the old saying, you know, he's a student of the game. But, yeah, I mean, Flair obviously would have picked some of that up from, from Harley Race, because Harley was champion when Flair had then won his first title. So, yeah, it's all, you know, that sort of that sort of era. And, and as I mentioned before, the... Um, I know he wasn't champion at that time, but the the feud with with Daniel Bryan and the way that paid off at WrestleMania was done absolutely perfectly. Um, the problem the problem that I have is um, well, he one one belt that he he won um, by having it presented to him rather than winning a tournament, which just seems really kind of hooky to me. Brilliant. But, Absolutely brilliant. That's one of the greatest things that's ever happened. As a heel, I suppose, yeah, it gives you the the, the reason to, to to hate him. But to me, that kind of devalues the, the title reign a bit. But the the main Nonsense. thing to me, the no. main thing that I remember that really spoils it is um, I can't remember which WrestleMania it was, but his title match with Booker T. And uh, um, about WrestleMania twenty one, somewhere around there, yeah. But and this also happened in a in a build up to a pay per view match with title match with Rob Van Dam, where um, every single interaction they had um, ended up with Triple H getting the upper hand, and traditionally if that is what's happening in the build-up, which is actually what happened with the Daniel Bryan feud, where the, the, the babyface is getting, not necessarily outsmarted, but is getting getting their ass handed to them through some underhanded means, it basically then means that when it comes to the pay-per-view, the babyface is finally going to get their revenge and retribution. And that didn't happen. Um, and it was of an, of an era where he was just dominating everything not giving his opponents a thing and therefore killing the intrigue mm. um, and I would also say when when you watch a lot of Triple H matches especially the Wrestlemania matches they are performed in front of a very non-responsive crowd um, 
and you know where we've we've talked about like even CM Punk where he was you know the secondary match as opposed to the main match um even when his title matches were like third, second or third from the top, he would always get a good reaction. He'd always get a good response and good crowd noise. I've too many triple H matches for me are, are held in almost silence. You could argue that he's had simply so long in that position that it would be, um, almost impossible to not have a few that don't fit that way. I would argue there's way more hits than misses. Um, the, the, certainly the two examples that you give, uh, in my personal opinion, this won't go down very well with some people, but if I was booking, I wouldn't have had Booker T and Rob Van Dam even near that level, let alone losing to Triple H. They wouldn't have got, they wouldn't have had the match in the first place. If you're asking me who I'd rather have on my roster out of those three, I would have Triple H any any day of the week, twice on a Sunday, um, rather than the other two who I've never I've never got the Rob Van Dam thing. I've never seen Rob Van Dam have a good match with someone that's not a, a genius, um, and I don't know, Booker T's just always been that kind of absolutely perfectly acceptable 7 out of 10 guy to me without being anything special. Um, so those two particular examples you, you give, in my eyes, are bad ones. Not because it's a bad on from your... Just bad timing, because you're, you're talking to someone that doesn't particularly have a huge... Um, I'm not a huge fan of RVD or Booker T. Um, I think there's way more examples of him making people um, like Batista uh, and like Jeff Hardy um, and uh, a few others going right to the very start well, Daniel Bryan of course going right to the back to the very start I think that 2000 you know 1999 is the most profitable year um, or you know best biggest rating 1998 is the kickoff of Austin and McMahon 99 is the year when the ratings got to their highest um, but I would argue 2000 is one of the most um, aesthetically good years in, in WWF <laughs> And yeah, I, and Triple I think, H and, and, I think and Triple Cactus H, Jack, and I think brilliant tri- feud. And I think Triple H, I think Triple H versus The Rock is even better. And Triple H versus The Rock carried WWF in that year, not carried because it was a very good card, but deservedly was on top throughout most of that summer. Um, and I think Triple H was, I think Triple H in one of the best years in wrestling history was the best wrestler in that year um, in terms of performances and that includes the way he was a, was a champion and he was champion for a lot of that time and it wouldn't have been the same like the rock could get away without being it and we talked about Austin and being around and chasing it and whatever but Triple H was the guy that needed to be the champ for the others to chase and he did an unbelievable job of it and then for years later whenever they were in the shit you just go back to Triple H and it always worked you always always believed that he was champ and he also had that it's a slightly different thing to Flair, and I'm not again. It's not, it's not a knock on Flair as we established at the start, but Triple H had that thing of being champion, and I believed he deserved it. I hated him anyway, but I believed he deserved it. He felt like he was tough and legit, but you still hated him. Okay, I'm going to say two things back to you on that one. Then, first of all, I don't often agree with Jim Cornette, but one thing Jim Cornette says that I totally agree with was that Triple H wasn't the great guy, Triple H worked with the great guys he was around at the same time and if he was that good then he would have been able to make those matches that you didn't like with Rob Van Dam and Booker T into great matches because that's what a Ric Flair or a Bret Hart or someone like Terry Funk or Jerry Lawler who can work a good match with anyone could do so the fact that those matches were were conducted in silence and the fact that you didn't like them because you didn't think they were 
those challenges were good enough shows that as a champion Triple H didn't do his job of elevating them to the level where they can become a believable threat which is what a heel champion should do you said about okay. how you know Flair and Lesnar would look that they're in, like they're in peril and make you believe that they were going to lose the belt that didn't happen with Triple H he's an excellent excellent booker apart from when it comes to his own stuff he's got a great mind but when it comes to his own stuff I think his ego gets in the way second Second point: If you you said earlier you don't want to you, know, you don't like counting people like Vern Gagne uh, or Antonio Noki who were the who were the promoters and therefore you know, were like in, inside it was an inside job when they were the champs. But then you know Triple H is, is Vince McMahon's son-in-law, so isn't there a similar thing there that he is he he is in a position where he is on top because of who he who he is and his family connections yes and no um, to, to, to the first point um, I accept where you're coming from in terms of making those matches great I can't disagree with what you just said there um, I can also say that that's not really what we're talking about um, making matches great is not the same thing as being a good champion um, because as I don't remember Hulk Hogan making too many people look great and we're going to talk about him in a moment. You might say he's a babyface, and we're talking about a heel here, so that's different. Okay, cool. But I still think, you know, being a champion and carrying yourself as a champion. I didn't see JBL making too many people look great either, but I still think he was a great champion. Um, I think that uh, you have a point, but only half a point. Uh, the second thing that you're saying there in terms of um, the Vern Gagne thing, well, um, in the year that I've just referred to. With Triple H, well, I think Triple H was the best wrestler in the best year. Uh, he wasn't the son-in-law, um, and I don't know if they were even an item for some of that year. Um, Triple H got to where he got because he deserved to be there. Now you could argue that there's been certain bits of um, preferable treatment over the years for sure, but I think that you could argue there's been a bit of preferable treatment towards um, John Cena because he's Vince's guy, or there was preferable treatment towards. Sting in TNA because Dixie liked him or I think lots of people get preferential treatment uh, for whatever reasons um, but I don't think that necessarily precludes them I don't think there's too many times where I'd have said that Triple H has done bad work or hasn't deserved to be in the position he's in I don't think, he, and I'm not to be fair I'm not saying that um, Inyoki or Ganya or anyone else were crap, I'm not saying anything about that I'm just saying that sometimes it's hard to see them in exactly the same way but the main reason I'm not putting them up for debate is because I haven't seen enough of their work and they're, they're too far back yeah. um, so I'm, I'm not saying I would preclude them just because of that I'm just saying it's a, a little bit of a uh, of a black mark listen I sense it's not going to go any further uh, and so I won't greatly push it but I just think I think Triple H is a victim of I think Triple H would be almost in the same position that he is now if he'd have never ever gone out with Stephanie because I think he is that good and I think he's that I think it's fortunate for Vince that Triple H ended up marrying his daughter as opposed to it being I think it's more fortunate for the WWF than it is fortunate for Paul Levesque I think he, I think he, I think he is better for the company than the company have been for him I think he was in the right place at the right time which which is fortunate you know, is a, a lot of a lot of the time for a lot of people but I would say he wouldn't if we if we were talking exclusively about the WWF and no other promotion he wouldn't make my top five. 
Okay. He'd make my top ten, but not my top five. Oh, well, that's a, that's a big fast becoming our catchphrase on this show. We say that almost every week about <laughs> the, uh, not you know top ten, but not top five. But listen, as Paul and I often say, that this needs to be a um, you know a democratic thing, and we need to both agree on something. And so uh, he won't make it. That's 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 a simple fact. Um, I know I would push for it, but it's uh, that's the way it goes. Um, we only have one to go, uh, and it's Hogan. And yeah. And I, sometimes we leave one till last because it's the uh, the best one to talk about. Sometimes we leave it till last because it's just so damn obvious. I don't have a lot to say about Hulk, Hulk Hogan. Um, he is responsible for the the boom of wrestling. He's the reason that Vince McMahon's a billionaire. He's the reason WrestleMania exists. Uh, yes. He was voted on our poll two or three weeks ago as Mr. WCW Nitro. He's the reason, one of the reasons why the Monday Night Wars became what it became I said wars plural then and I shouldn't do that I hate doing that war um, he is he's Mr. Wrestling and while we've left off Stone Cold Steve Austin or we may leave off Stone Cold Steve Austin for some certain reasons um, I don't think there's a single way in hell we can leave off Hogan because the whole point of Hogan was that he was the superhero that that, yeah. that, um, that got over in the end Austin as we talked about was, was chasing and trying to get the whole point of Austin was him trying to get to the top of the mountain. You know, he was the underdog. You know, was fighting. He's you know, <laughs> here's another comparison that's never been done. Steve Austin to Del Boy. But how interesting! <laughs> were, how interesting were the Trotters once they made their money? They had to make. They had to take the belt straight off of them, didn't they? The very yeah. next episode of Only Fools and Horses, they lost all their money. They spent all those years chasing the gold. They won the title and they dropped it straight back again. Straight back, and, yeah. And, and Austin is a bit like that. Whereas there are other people, you know, Hogan is is Batman. He's Superman. He's, you know, he he that's his character arc. Is he's on top. He succeeds every week. Um, and occasionally Lex Luthor comes along, or you know, General Zod or whatever. I'm not very good on superheroes. Um, you know, occasionally someone comes along and threatens, but in the end, Hogan gets his hand raised, and he is yeah. a hero and he's a champ, and that is all he is. Yeah, I think um, you know. In I would I would say it's a, it's a fair comparison of in the UK we had Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks, and in the US we had Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man as the the household names. That even if people didn't know um, enough about uh, or much about wrestling, Hulk Hogan was a household name. Um, Macho Man, incidentally, I didn't put on my list because I don't think really he had long enough as a champion. No, I agree. He was always he was always sort of the challenger or the foil, so that's why I've not included him. Um, but yeah, I think all the reasons you've said that you know wrestling went and the, the the WWF went from a regional promotion to a, a national promotion to an international promotion off the back of Hulk Hogan, and he was the right place at the right time. Um, he was the guy that they that they they built it on. The matches weren't great, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the the image, the brand ambassador type thing. That yeah, you could stick him on a talk show. He'd talk a load of horse shit, but you could talk him on and put him on a talk show, and he could he could do a good interview and connect with with non wrestling fans. Um, and really, yeah, I just I don't think there's much of a of a of a, a debate as far as from a a pure business 
perspective, put aside the match quality, put aside whatever you might think about the man personally and his his opinions, um, that without Hulk Hogan, there probably wouldn't be uh, a John Cena or a Roman Reigns or, or people like that because he he built those foundations for them. Agreed. I mean, just just completely. Um, I, don't, I honestly don't think there's a lot to discuss about it. It's just it's so straightforward. Um, and yeah, and he needed the belt as well. Where we've said about you know, I've I've said someone like Austin didn't need the belt. Hogan needed the belt because he was the champion. He was the figurehead of the the WWF, and it, it was almost like he was defending the honor of the promotion as the superhero babyface. And when the likes of your know, King Kong Bundys and your Big Boss Mans and whoever else came along, an earthquake, you know, he was there to eventually to vanquish them. What's the uh, what's the line in The Simpsons? When Poochie is not on the screen, the other characters should be saying, "Where's Poochie? Where's Poochie? When is Poochie which, going to be coming back?" Which, yeah, which is a, a reference we we make a, a reference to a lot on uh, because of WCW. His his WCW babyface reign was horrendous, rubbish, absolutely terrible, and it was cringeworthy. And we have we have cursed him on watch-alongs a, a lot, but then after all of that, he then in WCW, he turns babyface and he turns the wrestling industry upside down um, I remember people when I, this happened when I was at university and I remember when people would come into our house and see me watching videos of, of Nitro with, with heel Hulk Hogan their jaws hit the floor when they knew they found out that Hogan had turned heel um, that was the, the level of that people knew him and he turned around WCW's fortunes you know again very smart because he recognised what Hall and Nash were going to do for that company and he put himself right in there with them for sure um, and we can we are very much preaching to the choir I think when it comes to yeah uh, uh, to this sort of thing just very very quickly because you're you're my British expert you know a lot more things about British wrestling than I do and you did mention Big Daddy who you know would be considered on that sort of same level in terms of carrying a company and all that kind of stuff. But to my knowledge, I don't you know I I don't was was he ever a champion? What did they even have a championship belt on World of Sport of that sort of ilk? But I don't he, I don't see Big Daddy with a title belt. No, he was never. I mean, I think back in like you know in the 60s, 50s or 60s when he was just Shirley Crabtree, he may have been a British heavyweight champion for a short period of time. But when he was Big Daddy for the vast literally like 99% of his matches when he became popular were tag matches. Um and in Britain at that time there was no such thing as a tag team championship. Um I remember when they started showing um, they started showing WWF on British TV, and I was—I'd see the the British Bulldogs and the Heart Foundation. It's like, what's this tag team championship about? Because tag matches were just um, tag matches were just um, a, a sort of a feature attraction. Um, but I'll—I'll I'll tell you something actually. Um, I—I I actually have—I've um, just recently received an email from Dave Meltzer. I—I I am one of the people who gets to vote on the um, Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame each year, and um, Big Daddy's name is on the list and is still on the list for um, for the category of of Australia, New Zealand, Europe, and other overseas areas. And I never have, and I never will vote for Big Daddy in the Hall of Fame because the criteria is. Um, that you 
um, were a significant and historical draw, which absolutely he was. Um, and that you, but it's also about your match quality. Oh. And Big Daddy's matches were universally terrible because he literally did not sell anything. Any offen- any offensive move from any heel was immediately reversed. He literally never took a bump, never was in peril. And and it's actually it was big watching Big Daddy matches as a kid that made me realise it was a work. <laughs> he also wasn't a star until he was about forty five, was he? It was like something was, like that. Really, yeah, he was well into his uh, later years. And uh, what I always say, my favourite thing about Big Daddy is that forget it's nothing to do with wrestling. Is that he is the most northern man that has ever existed. <laughs> not it's, it's not Tony Mowbray who is an incredibly northern man, and it's not Johnny Vegas. I was um, just about to say Johnny Vegas. It, it, it is Big Daddy. Big Daddy was a wrestler. He played rugby league. He was a yep. coal miner, and he was in the cold stream guards. Stream guards that is the most yeah. northern man that's ever lived, without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, anyway, how, how have we gone through all of these great champions in history, and we've ended up talking about how uh, how Big Daddy's from Bradford. Um, but anyway, let's uh, back to... Well, back... just look, he was born in 1930, and he kind of became became um, Big Daddy as the big baby face sort of the late 70s so that would be yeah he'd be in his late 40s at that point and into his 50s in the 80s yeah okay I think we've got I think we might have what Paul and I had a couple of weeks ago here which is I think we've probably got a clear four and then well, we I have would, to decide the fifth I would say Flair Hogan Cena Brett would be my clear four. Is that the same as you? Or it absolutely you... is. It absolutely is. I think it's four plus one. Now, I know I would be tempted to probably go with one of Triple H, JBL, or Nick Botwinkle. But I suspect that you're not really with me on those. So the other three that I have written down, as we've been talking... I mean, I mean listen, there's a few people that we could put back into this conversation I've not written up I always write up a bit of a sort of medium list as I call it I haven't included The Rock I haven't included Austin I haven't included Shawn Michaels um, you know there's a few people and there's probably others that we, we haven't even talked about that maybe even deserve you know higher positions like that but it felt like we went we passed over those because we felt others were better we could promote any one of those up into the fifth place if we needed a fifth place the other three names that I did write for the medium list were AJ Styles Jerry Lawler and Charlotte Flair um, now we were both quite high on Charlotte at the time and I don't want it to look like tokenism but I absolutely think that if we're talking about someone that has dominated divisions has every single character trait that is needed in terms of carrying themselves promos, look, ability longevity with the belt and great matches I, I, would, be, I would be okay with Charlotte being on this list you know well, it's interesting you say that because I, the, out of all the people we've been talking about, the ones that we haven't haven't already put in, I've got four names, which is Roman Reigns, Chris Jericho, Rick Rude, and Charlotte Flair. So we have both got a common a common name in there. Well, I don't, I, I couldn't agree with Reigns because I just don't think he's ever been accepted. I don't think he's ever been a good champion. Um, and I'm a, I like Roman Reigns, but I don't think he's ever been a good champion. I don't think he's ever. Been, I would have Brock Lesnar miles ahead of Roman Reigns. Um, Fair enough. In terms of that chat, I, would, I didn't even include Lesnar on that list because again, he was another one that we sort of we, we brushed aside. Um, Jericho, going back to what we said, but I absolutely love Jericho, and I agree with your assertion that 
he's been a brilliant AEW champion or he was a perfect choice as their first champion but that's about 9 months out of a 25 year career 27 year career 29 year career Yeah, I, I just don't ever really see any great Jericho uh, championship reigns fair dues I'll scrub him and who was the other one he said I'm sure there was one more in there uh, Rick Rude, oh, Rick Rude as, sec- as the secondary champion oh, listen, I, I agree with a lot of that I agree with a lot of what you said about Rick Rude I just feel it's an easier sometimes I think about what's going on in the five not just because of what we think but also what people may look at for the vote and I just think it's um, you know, if you look at the, you know, what's the odd one out Bret Hart, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair John Cena and Rick Rude and people go really Rick Rude now if we were doing a real sort of you know in depth um, you know, study into things and, and producing, you know, long thesis on on how things went. Then I, I think you'd have a, you know, I think you'd have a really good point because you you demonstrated it really well when you were talking about it. But I, I just think most people would go. He was never he was never champion. He's not on that level as the, the yeah. He's not on the top level. He is your secondary champion who is in some ways just as important as the top guy. But when I, I see what you mean when you're looking at that top five elite. He, he doesn't quite crack it I mean the only thing I suppose with Charlotte is that whereas all of these other people they have they have had their careers and we can look at their careers as a whole and assess it Charlotte one would think is is you know not even halfway through her career most likely so there's there's a, a long way a long way to go but I suppose that's because the women's division is is young and is burgeoning Still. I don't know exactly when she started, but I'll have a sp- I think 2012 something like that maybe. I would have a sportsman's pint with you that she is not only more than halfway through her career that I would say she's potentially around about 75% of the way through it because there is just a simple fact of women's careers not lasting as long. There's the bigger, more temptation of her starting a family and then not coming back again. Yeah. Um. I don't know her personal situation, but that's you know if you're a, if you are a woman in your thirties, uh, you know again that sounds so sexist, but you know it's a, men can men can men can be part of a relationship that's having a baby and still carry on their physical absolutely work it's, and a, it's a fact of life. That's a fact of biology. Fact of 2012 yeah. is her debut. I was I was I was right there. And also my other my other knowledge in this is that despite who her father is, is that she's not necessarily a massive wrestling fan. Like she didn't get into it. She didn't spend all her life wanting to be a wrestler. She was a gymnast, and then in her mid twenties went, "I can wrestle," and she happens to be brilliant. Um, but I, I'm not sure the love is there for for Charlotte. Do you know what I mean? I think that yeah. I think it'd be easy easy for her to walk away if her and who, if she has a partner right now um, decide that. They yeah, want she's to... um, she's with Andrade, isn't she? Oh, is she? Oh, cool. Um, you know, and if they decide that they want a family, then I could absolutely see her. You know, for example. You know, even if they didn't start the family, I, I realise I'm being a bit sexist on that front. But if you found out that Charlotte was retiring at next year's WrestleMania, I don't think it would shock. It wouldn't shock me. You know, it'd be a shame, and it would be a bit too soon. But I would. It wouldn't massively shock me because these things tend to happen. You know, you know whether it's you know Lita and Trish or others. They, people they do seem to re- retire a wee bit earlier. And, yeah. Um, I think it could be seen. Anyway, that's not the point. That's not the argument. It's about whether she deserves to be that fifth person. I think we're ticking off. Um, the qualities of the champion, and I think all the all the qualities that exist in Bret Hart, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, and John Cena, I think she can attest to having. I think she's um, first and foremost. If you give her a belt, does she look right with it? 
Does she stand the right way? Does she walk the right way? Does she address the fans the right way? And she does. She yep. has great wrestling matches. She has interesting, believable feuds. Um, you know, I, I, if you talked earlier on about someone being billed under a different name, if she had been, if she had come along and been called, you know, Doris Matthews, <laughs> yeah. um, I think she'd still be the champion. Actually, that's a crap name, so maybe she wouldn't. But you know, if she if she'd have been given the name Becky Lynch and Becky Lynch had never existed, yeah, then Charlotte would be the champion. You know, Charlotte would be who Charlotte is. It is not yeah. because of her dad. She's that. No, I mean, she's, she's learned a lot from her dad, but that's course, not why yeah. she's in that position. Absolutely not. No, and I mean, from what you when you were talking about the, her motivations and that, you know, she she's said before that she wanted to have a career for her late brother Reed, and that's how that that came about. And she just happens to be tremendously. <laughs> talented at it um, so yeah I mean the, the other thing that I, I mentioned is you know as a as a promoter and this is me with my sort of in, you know, from behind the curtain mindset on as a as a wrestling promoter as a booker would you be happy with Charlotte Flair appearing on a you know TV show to represent your company and she has done plenty of those already both in the US and the UK so the answer there is obvious is an obvious yes 100 so I think I think she ticks all the boxes. I don't think it, I, 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 as you say, I don't think it's tokenism. I think it's a, it's an acknowledgement of the relative youth of a serious women's division, not just in WWE, in wrestling as a whole. Um, in in the amount of time that that serious wrestling has been around, as opposed to what we talked about earlier with the TNA kind of stuff with with Trish Stratus. So yeah. so I think from from that era and looking looking in the future I think that future women's champions will look at Charlotte Flair in the same way that Nick Aldis has looked at Harley Race um, in the same way that Triple H has looked at Harley Race and, and Ric Flair and probably the same way that, that, that Roman Reigns has looked at The Rock and, and John Cena to as to how to conduct themselves so I sure. think it's a yes ok we pencil her in at 5 I've just thought of one more thing that I, sh I haven't noted down and I've just thought of it so I'll, I'll offer you this choice because you, you know more about them than me you brought it up rather than me uh, Charlotte is pencilled in at number 5 but we can get out the eraser on the end of the pencil and rub her out if you would rather replace her with um, Tanahashi or Okada No, I'm happy with I'm happy with what we got. I think um, I I just think from I from what I I don't I don't watch as much Japanese wrestling as I do American. So my 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 bias is towards you know American I I guess. But um, I'm happy with what we got there. No, I think we should, our five. I think I mean we could be here all day doing that, couldn't we? How have we left off Conan or Mil Mascaris or Mm. Giant Barber or Ricky Dozan or you know <laughs> we could be here all day couldn't we if we start looking at territories that we're not you know not particularly familiar with and uh, and uh, and uh, we have managed to get through the whole podcast without mentioning the uh, the uh, the Funk fella who, uh, who I did I did mention him very briefly at the end there about when talking about Triple H and having a good match with anyone oh did you okay I, I, I yeah you, have, uh, I, I slipped that one through the net oh, clearly okay. I'll go back and cut it out so no one realises 
Excellent. You're um, a good man. Well, you say that. That's not really true. Yeah, it's um, not true at all, is it? This has been fun. Um, it would have been interesting. To, I am gonna. The first thing I'm going to do... Well, it's a bit late, actually, as we're recording. But the uh, first thing I'm going to do after recording this tomorrow morning is... Uh, is text Paul B and see what he comes up with as his five and see how close he is. It'd be very interesting to see if he picks our clear four. Um, mm. And uh, we'll see. But he's not here, so we can do what we wish. <laughs> yes. I, might, I might also make some... Who shall I say we left it? I'll say... I'll, shall I leave out Hogan? No, leave out Bret Hart because... Um, cause he, from, I'm just thinking about the Bret Hart Big E debate from a few weeks ago. Mm. Uh, um, I'd say leave... Wind him up by leaving out Brett Hart. No, I think he'll know that I would push for Brett, though. Ah, that's true. I think he'll know that I absolutely wouldn't have, you know, a, a world where Brett's not on this list. And actually, you're quite a big Brett fan as well, so it's, it's, yeah. um, you know, I think he would know us better. But I think he take, the, take out Hogan and put in Terry Funk. So <laughs> I think that's a bit too on the nose. But I'm I, <laughs> when I get to it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him the five, and I'm gonna say we, we didn't, we didn't put in Hogan, but we did put in, you know, maybe. Um, I don't know who did we mention that was like an okay Roman Reigns I'll say we put in Roman Reigns Bill Mascaris <laughs> yeah. actually it might be funny if we went yes we went with Vern Gagne Mill Mascaris <laughs> Conan Giant Barber and and Wayne Bridges Kerry yeah. Von Eric Kerry Von Eric <laughs> oh beautiful wonderful and, uh, this has been great fun thank you very much to thank uh, you for having me on this yeah I I I yeah, champions and championships is something I'm really passionate about, and I'm, I'm hope that came through. It's, it's been really good to uh, to have a have a discussion with you, Rob. Cool. Plug your podcast, man. Uh, me and Liam Hap, we do because WCW. Looking back over um, old WCW pay per views with a guest, and we also do watch alongs of Nitro episodes in chronological order. We're currently on April 1996. Um, so you can get us on Twitter at becausewcw. Um, all of our podcasts we've done, I think, 72 at this time of recording. Um, you can get by going to becausewcw.podbean.com, um, and it's also available from all the usual places you get your podcasts from. So um, yeah, give us a follow, give us a rate and review. Be uh, be good to hear from you. Fantastic stuff. Uh, Dean joined us for a. Sunday night quiz a few weeks ago as well when uh, filling in for Paul and we are going to make a point actually on the quiz a little bit more of um, rotating the squad uh, a little bit so I think you may well see Dean pop up again if he wants to uh, on a yeah. Sunday night when I won't be taken in by that bastard Benson pretending to be someone else and winning the quiz and stitching me up like a good one although uh, there's, there's, there are rumours flying around that you might have been a bit of a an inside man on that one that you might have known something that was going on. I don't, you were a bit of the Pat Patterson, Gerald Briscoe, Bruce Pritchard thing there. Of uh, did you actually know what was going on on the screw job, or have you just uh, kept it quiet? I'm not going to push you on it too. Much. I, uh, I, I, I was going to, I was going to quote um, Earl Hebner and say, "I swear on my kids' lives, I uh, didn't know anything about it." Oh, so you did then? I don't have any kids. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the world breathes a sigh of relief. Um, <laughs> uh, mate, it's been great, uh, great 
talking to you. Great having you on. So a fun discussion. We didn't argue quite as much as I would have liked. I like it when we disagree. Um, but uh, I think it's been it's been largely amicable. Uh, folks, listen to Dean's podcast. It's great fun. Uh, there's been loads of episodes just recently. We had our Nitro week a couple of weeks on the uh, a couple of weeks ago on the site. Uh, and and we had we had you on a few weeks ago uh, talk, covering Bash at the Beach '96, the famous Hogan Hill turn. Yeah, Dean invited me round for a quick bash, and it lasted a lot longer than he expected. Um, <laughs> And, um, and more of that sort of innuendo on the show but um, yes thank you very much for listening um, I'm always terrible at signing these off but uh, come back uh, again next week another brand new podcast uh, in the How To Be Great series don't forget the Sunday Night Quiz as usual at 8pm on Facebook Live and because WCW hookedonwrestling.co.uk for all of your wrestling uh, up to date news opinions all sorts of stuff uh, continuing to go and it is uh, the Clash of the Champions on Sunday which is why we um, have done champions as our topic so hookedonwrestling.co.uk will have lots of uh, build up to that the usual round table predictions and so forth uh, see you on Sunday for the quiz if not back here for the podcast next week from Dean Ayas and myself Robert Nichol thank you very much for listening just remember it's wrestling enjoy it see you very soon <laughs>